Hey, before I kick off the podcast, I just want to shout out Nextdoor Clothing. Nextdoor, uh, a clothing brand based out of Bondi in Sydney. They're making really nice jeans and shirts and hats. So go and check out their full range at nextdoorsydney.com. They're also artists, so you can go and check out a range of art. They put on rad parties, and I love what they're doing. So nextdoorsydney.com for the full range. Hey, it's Shan here. This week, I speak with exceptional human, exceptional skateboarder, exceptional artist. It's Mr. Sid Tapia. Yeah, so those of you that know, you know. Sid was such an influential skateboarder in Australia, especially in the Sydney area, for many years. You know, I'm probably thinking of that era from like early 90s to early 2000s and maybe beyond. He still skateboards these days, family and art take up a lot of his time, but uh, he's just the most charismatic and passionate human I think I've had on the show for a very long time. I hate to break it to a lot of the skate crew, but like Sid and I, we don't really talk much about skating in this episode. You know, Sid takes us on a a journey into his personal life. If we're straight, he uh, takes us to his dark places and takes us to his, you know, his life now and everything in between. Sid is a man of deep faith. So he's unapologetic about that. And he takes us on the journey of, of how he came to where he is with that. And it's funny, I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm listening to his story and he's telling me about his family and just, you know, the fruits of his faith, he calls it. You know, he has all these beautiful things in his life. So it's very obvious that whatever he's doing is working for him. And he just had this like rad energy. Like it was so mesmerizing and engaging. And I could just, you know, feel that I was sitting across from a human that had this like deep inner peace. Uh, he seemed very enriched and happy, whatever that is, whatever happiness is. But I think enriched and fulfilled are probably the best words that describe Sid at the moment. Sid you know, back in the day, in my opinion, he was like a very influential skateboarder, obviously a very good skateboarder, but like his overall steez really stood out. Like, you know, from the tricks that he chose to do, how he did them, because style matters, and his overall aesthetic just really stood out. And, you know, back then, this was before social media and you know, the currency of, of being a sponsored or professional skateboarder was to have loads of coverage in magazines and, and video parts, and, and Sid did. He, he featured in so many mags, especially Australian ones. You know, he had international sponsors, and it, it was obvious because he was just so, so good, and he had this X factor about him, which he still does have. And if you've seen Sid's artwork... It's profound and it has a, a very strong impact on people, hence why he's very sought after. He does contract work for various companies when he when he has to or wants to, he chooses. But he has this underlying desire to be of service to the community. That's what drives him. And he could easily rest on his laurels from like his skate days or even his art days. He could rest on the laurels of the work that he's already produced because it's that amazing. You know, he's also a profound muralist. I think like we talk about how the NRL 
actually contracted him to do murals of, of NRL players, which was this really weird paradox, you know, because he just was never a footy guy and they, they want him to do, you know, pictures of NRL players on walls and stuff like that. He's an ambassador for that brand Ruka. He's just opened up a rad art gallery in Brisbane. So if you're in the area, go and check it out. You will be amazed and mesmerised. And Sid is just so approachable and social. You know, if he's there, he's going to give you the time. He'll, he'll talk to you. He'll explain his art and break it right down for you. And I just think if you get the opportunity to connect with Sid, you need to do it because you'll walk away feeling much better than you did beforehand. So as always, this episode's dedicated to my children, Clementine and Otis. And yeah, man, he's the kind of influence I want on my children. And he's the kind of influence that needs to be you know, voiced in the world more. So enjoy my conversation with him. Cheers. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Yeah. Okay. So is it rec- yeah. are we on now? We are. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> how do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, good, good, good. It's good to chat. <laughs> yeah, man, I've been I've been observing you from the sidelines for many, many years. You know, skateboarding wise, but then in more recent years, your art. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel that you know this this journey into art sort of took over, or was it always there? Yeah, it was. It was always there, but I guess n- not many people knew about it. You know, especially through the years of skateboarding, because I guess my life's been quite, you know, visual. People could look into it, you know, with um, mags and TV, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, with the skating, through the skating years, it was hardly ever there. If anyone really knew about it, it would be, you know, some of the graphics, I'd, some of my pro models that I designed or <clears> – <throat> And that was just pretty rough too. It was just like, oh, okay, I'm getting a pro model board. I'll, can I do the graphic? And I'll be like, yeah, okay, so i just do a drawing. But I always knew I could draw, but I wouldn't focus that much time on it. So it was kind of there. Funnily enough, if not, when I say not many people knew about it, I, I got this text message off uh, Wade, uh, Wade Burkett like some time ago, and he sent me a message of some drawings that I did that I'd just given him, and I was like, I didn't even remember him. And he was like, yeah, I've got some drawings that you did. I was like, wow. I was just like, okay. He, he, so I guess he maybe knew some of it, but I know a lot of my other friends just didn't know too much. But, um, and the, there's, there's definitely a reason why to, to all of that, because I knew it was something that I had, um, and that I was good at from a very young age, but it really came to a big halt at the age of 13. Yeah, the massive fault. <laughs> like and, and, I could go into, I, I can go, I can go into that. Yeah, sure, sure. We'll we'll kind of get stuck into it. Um, so it, it's I started really loving my artwork or art or aesthetics. I'd say I, I really started. In, I was very attracted to aesthetics, and that was um, from the age of like maybe four. Um, even three. My first few memories of skateboarding was when I was three years old. Um, and I was just really drawn to it because my older brother, who was um, seven years older, was just like a real. Um, he was he was he was my he's my older brother, and he's he was the father figure that I had as well, and the mentor that I had because 
parents were divorced at three. So I'd always look to him. You know what it's like when you got little, when you got the little bro- little one looks up to the bigger one and copies and wants to do everything. So I was like that. So he would get into skating, and I'd be like, yeah, I want to get into skating. And he, so he really had a massive influence in my early years that way. But when it came to, I guess, finding my own, um, and it and it went down to the aesthetic side of things. My mum has really beautiful cursive writing, and it's very traditional from from Ecuador, South America. They'd really teach all the kids to really focus a lot on their handwriting, and it's something that really stood out to me at a really young age. So I would often be there wanting to um, mimic her handwriting. <clears throat> so that led on throughout the early years um, to be taught by her. So she she saw that I had a liking to it, and I'd often ask her, like, oh, how do you do that letter S? Or how do you teach me a signature, teach me this? And so I was very enthusiastic about it. So she would sit me down and give me some of her old textbooks from Ecuador that she just so happened to have. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be there pretty much wanting to learn how to write like her, which then what that leads to, um, just in general, you can, it's pretty obvious to imagine you could, that leads to just having good penmanship and, and that means good pen control, um, which would then lead to saying, oh, okay, I really like this this uh, comic or this drawing or, or I want to draw someone. It, it led to that that sort of understanding. Of, um, so, yeah, that, that, that was something that I just picked up re- at a really young age and was really good at when it came to drawing things and copying things a lot as well. I'd copy things often you know i'd have it led <laughs> funny stories it led me to copying um or forging i should say not copying forging <laughs> put it this way in my primary years i went really well at school <laughs> well like what were you forging like your school reports my mum's signature i wasn't doing well at school at all so i, I should say i wasn't doing well but to the teachers, it looks like, well, I guess the parents signed the report card, so I guess it's all right, because I'd get these report cards that were just shocking. They were so bad. And, you know, you got to get it, you got to take it home and get it signed by your parents. And then, so because I had good penmanship, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know my mum's signature. She taught me her handwriting. Sweet. So I'd just do this. But I got caught in, I, I, got, I got away with it for, for some time, but in year five, I got caught. And because I was a pretty disruptive kid, um, there was always like a reason. It was it was kind of like throughout primary and high school, there was always the main teachers or the principals were always kind of looking for reasons to get me out sort of thing. Um, and in year five, it, it kind of happened because uh, I got caught with a forged signature. Um, year five, yeah, I was like, I started school really, really young too. So I was about a year I was about two years below everyone so I was just trying to figure the life out I forged a signature but as I was doing it I still remember doing it I, I panicked because I was like oh my gosh I made a mistake on my mom's signature I'm like what do I do what do I do I'm like oh liquid paper remember liquid paper <laughs> the one with a brush the paintbrush yeah, yeah there. <laughs> so I'm like genius I know what to do I'll get liquid paper and I'll just smoothen it out and I'll just buff it out a bit so it doesn't I'm like yeah, big mistake. Obviously, no one <laughs> correct for excess signature with liquid paper. So, yeah, I got caught and then copped a cane, a whole bunch of stuff. And a cane, isn't that interesting? Yeah, right. You know, I was yeah. just on the on the end of the cane era. I got caned. It traumatized me. I remember that moment so clearly. Yeah, man. It was I it both, was gnarly. Are both it, your parents Ecuadorian? 
Yeah, 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 they are. And they moved, they moved to Australia as migrants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. I'm, I was born 73, so they came, well, I think maybe about maybe three or four years before that, I think. Yeah. Describe that experience of being the child of migrants. Yeah, it was, was. Was there an added pressure, you think, to be successful in what you did? Yeah, definitely. Because they because they gave up and gave up so much and worked yeah. so hard to start a new life. Yeah, probably for you. Yeah, yeah, kind of for me, like in some ways. But it was it was a weird like when I look at it. I've had to throughout the years. I've had to step aside and sort of look at their relationship and go, okay, they were two people that were down for each other, and they you know decided to start a new life. And it's something that has over the years helped me deal with like um understand like forgiveness and things like that because throughout throughout my years I've I've we come from a very broken home and <clears throat> there was a lot of full-on stuff that happened in my early years like when it comes to the type of household in terms, of, in. In terms of the household environment yeah 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 like a lot of and a lot of it had to do with um with confusion and brokenness and see like when my family being coming over, my dad came over with his brothers and they were wanting to start up a whole new life and they really just didn't have a sense of um, knowing of their environment, you know, and they had to just make things happen. They didn't know the language as well. So that was really gnarly to not know the language one bit and just be stuck in the middle of, okay, we're now in Redfern, Waterloo, this is where, you know, all the – or the younger people are, you know, like or, so not the younger, the, the, the migrants, are, you know, and they have to just get amongst it all. You know, they've got to, they've got to figure out, they've got to figure out how to, how to survive. Um, so within that area, it was a poor demographic at that time. And basically, yeah, being young as well, my mum having to just, work and whatnot it was sorry sorry Shane can you hear me okay yeah oh cool 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 for a second I thought yeah. maybe we had blocked out so sorry it was I was Dude, being I'm my, just, I mean I'm really engaged and I'm just completely identifying but I'll let yeah going. yeah yeah gotcha this gotcha so interesting yeah yeah cool cool no I was listening to Daz's um Daz's uh podcast yesterday and I, I know that you you're Maltese your background's Maltese so you probably yeah a similar story in a way yeah well, do you mind if I just jump in for yeah a yeah please because, please please you know, like I think the the there's like a certain level of migrant trauma that is really underestimated. You know, mm. your family moved to a completely different culture, to mm. a country that was at the height of the white Australia policy. Mm. So then they come to this new country for a better life, then treated like completely out complete outcasts, and then to start out they have to live in what was at the time a very low SES area, mm. which generally is associated with you know, crime and yeah. and uh, unfavourable characters. Yeah. So when you mentioned to me at the very start that your parents divorced at three, mm. you know, I get it because the exact same thing happened to my father and his, his wow. family. Yeah, right. Because they were so discombobulated <laughs> in a new culture, mm. it generated so much trauma within the family, you know. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just such a cycle of, of um, you know, people then, you know, their confusion and their pain is then put onto their children and their family because they're there and they're yeah. the closest proximity to them. Mm. 
So anyway, that's just yeah. my two cents. No, no, that, 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 that's it, yeah. It was, that's the stuff that I, I look back at and I go, I have to, that's what I mean, I have to step outside of me and being hurt or, you know, having my achievements and having my, you know, my expectations just diminished or whatever, you know, in, in ha- being a son to wanting to have a father, that sort of thing. All those things I've had to step aside and go, okay, let me understand their situation a bit more. You know, and realizing that there were two people that were just trying to give it a go. And my dad being young and unfortunately, you know, trying to live his life and survive. And then the relationship was under a lot of pressure, a very turbulent relationship between my mum and dad. Um, unfortunately, there was a lot of just, yeah, you know, just a lot of hostility to say the least, you could kind of imagine. Um, <clears throat> and then at three, being divorced, but I, one thing, the way, and going back to your question, like how it affected me, it was that I really ad- adored my dad. Like I really just was like, man, the guy's the best. He's like my hero. You know, he was, you know, top looking guy. He was very fit, very, you know, really attractive. Um, aesthetically, he was an attractive guy. And I'd be like, man, that guy's cool. You know, and my uncles were really cool. Even though they were Ecuadorian, they had this really, if you look at back at their photos, they're just like wearing their, they'd wear platforms, put it that way. You look at something like Ziggy Stardust, and my, 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 my uncles were sort of emulating that. They were just artistically minded that way. You know, they'd be wearing ponchos with flares and all these wild colors and stuff, playing guitar. My uncle was like into acrobatics and all this sort of stuff. And I'd be like, these guys are just they're out there you know like I'd be like wow and and my dad being in the, in that mix you know um but unfortunately because of all that my mom suffered quite a bit because my dad would just start he's on this wild adventure as a man but at the same time he's you know my mom's having to just take care of me and my older brother and just at home feeling absolutely lonely you know not not having anyone to um do, you know just do life with so so, yeah, um, it started affecting me in such a way where once my dad was gone, I would be missing him terribly, like terribly, man. Every time I was with him, I'd just be like wanting to literally cling on to him and just be so stoked, you know, just latching off every word that he had to say. But he'd hardly ever be around. That's the thing. Like it was well, ye- years on end. Me, yeah. Well, can I – oh, years on end. So can yeah. you ask me why? Like what was the arrangement? Would you see him every well, yeah, like but a typical because, second weekend type of vibe? Mm, or? No, it was – my mum had to tr- really get away in a big way because there was a lot of – um a lot of, yeah, just domestic, yeah, hostility going on and that sort of thing. So mum had to really separate. And then my dad was just off, you know, starting to just form a new life and whatnot and, with, and my mum had to, you know – hustle hard, work two to three jobs and just really just go hard at trying everything and anything to raise her kids. And be, with with her mentality being South American and that her culture, she was brought up in a, um, in a monastery um, because she was orphaned when she was 16. So she lost her parents at 16 and then she didn't have anywhere to go. The, mon- the local monastery took her in and her brother um, but she had to live separately from him, um, so she had to live with nuns and then basically um, try and figure out life that way. So when she meets my dad at a young age, she's just like head over heels because my dad's like the talk of the town sort of thing, you know, and, and from her little town and he's sort of come in and just kind of been swept off her feet in a way and then, yeah, and off she's off to this big adventure and 
Yeah, in many ways, that's how I've sort of had to try and understand it and the heartbreak there. And that caused a lot of confusion and, and, and hurt in my mom. And unfortunately, uh, my brother and I became the, 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 we, we were the, uh, what's, what's, what's the word? The soundboard for all that confusion and, host- and, and, and hurt. Like we ended up copying a lot of the, uh, the pain because of that. Mm, maybe she became emotionally enmeshed because she was looking for that hole to be filled, you know. I've heard yeah. that parents, if I'm honest, you know, sometimes I have I do that to my kids because I love them so much, but yeah. and they do, they feel this hole in you. Yeah. Um, yeah, in many but, ways. But in the same token, it's it's a, it's quite a heavy burden for a child, you know. It is, yeah. Because a lot of it for my mom was like she's she's a very strong-minded woman. She's she's taught like just from observing her life more than anything, she's taught me a lot in regards to resilience and just not ever backing down, like being able to just go through hardships in a really big way. But the thing that's hard is that to this day I find it hard to get along with her because there was a lot of hurt, dude, like a lot of hurt, man. Like I don't want to get into it too much out of respect for my mom, you know, but Mm. we received some gnarly stuff and it was on a daily basis, you know. Um, and that was mm. something that I have I had to deal with to the age of fifteen. So I stood up, so I had to like physically stand up to my mom in many ways. But and that was something that that was really hard to deal with, man. From an early age, like every day, be constantly in fear of of the violence and all this sort of stuff. And but at the, and also violence the, towards you, or or is this when you're are you referring to when your parents were together? No, no, towards towards us. In, 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 so is this discipline in her eyes? Discipline, you know, that old school sort of way of disciplining your kids and that sort of thing. But because, like, it the the, the hard thing is, is this right? Like, I want to be able to say it in such a way where it's respectful to my mom in an understanding way where people get it and they understand because I don't want to breed any type of resentment or any type of um, offence. I want to be able to put it in such a clear perspective that people can understand both sides of the picture because I'm on the receiving end because I'm so, I'm I'm this kid that has to be raised up but my mom is having to work three to four jobs or whatever do everything she can to put her kids into yeah. into private school because she thinks private school is the way to go because she was brought up in a monastery. So she thinks the safest place for my children is in a private school. So she has to then work hard to push her kids into private school. And she ended up taking us to some, you know, putting us into whatever she could that had some sort of like, you know, um, different systems. So to speak. Anyway, what, what, what ended up, so what I'm trying to get at is that through, through I, I just remember from the ages of 5 to 15, it was just a lot of mental abuse. Um, not, I don't even like the word abuse. It was just mental hostility of like just words, you know, like words. Anguish. Words are the, have the have the power. Well, as the Bible says, life and death is in the power of the tongue and those who indulge in it will eat the fruit thereof, meaning, you know, like out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if there's a lot of confusion, hurt and pain, and if she's looking at this kid, me or my brother, who she's just trying to fight for, I remind, I personally was reminding her of my dad because I look like him and my temperament is very much like him. So all the, all the, all the, um, you know, you can speak life into someone or you can speak death, you know, but it was a lot of that. It was a lot of the negative being spoken over my life. Um, on a daily basis. So so you can kind of imagine I'm 49 now 
And I still find it very, very challenging to speak with my mom. Like it's one of the most challenging relationships I have in my whole life. It's 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 really hard to deal with because have you have you said that to her before? Yeah, dude. Like, but at the same time, well, uh, you know, my mom. She in a state of denial or acceptance with it? uh, Denial, like, like almost to the point where it didn't happen and that sort of thing. And I'm just like, uh, like, I just got to sort of roll with that, you know, because, you know, you know, I seek. You know, I seek God for like forgiveness and all that, but it's sometimes hard to seek forgiveness when the person you are wanting forgiveness from doesn't exactly seek your forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like is not apologizing. And that's a hard thing, you know. And I know there's other people that will probably be listening to this and kind of relax. I'm very aware of that. So I'm being very particular with my words because I don't want it to go in this other tangent where I don't want to, you know, Words are so powerful that other people listening can take them on board and go, well, yeah, I can relate to that and therefore I'm going to – so I want to help try and bring a solution to all this because the fact that I'm still sort of battling with this internally with like the dynamic between my mum and my and myself, it's it's um, it's something that I, I'd want to help, help others with to sort of go, hey, like you can see it through without having to keep breeding that hostility towards the one that caused the pain. You know, because um, that's what I've found has been an error in my life many times is that I end up getting gnarly or, or, or just being hostile towards my mum because I'm still hurting. You know, that little kid is still hurting so much. Whereas I've got to, you know, I've seen a, I've seen a counsellor about it as well, and he he gave me some great advice to sort of so, sort of say, you know, you got to know when to sort of step in and step out. Because sometimes the guilt complex would come. It's like, oh, she's my mom. You know, I guess I just got to hang out here and just feel like crap and hear these words and hear, just go through this conversation. It's like, no, I got to know when I can come in, speak love, try to be as as normal as I can, so to speak, as hard as it is, and then just step away. You know, like yeah, but and not feel and not. Oh, sorry, guys. So I was going to say, and not feel guilty about that. Because even if it's like five minutes and that's all I can handle because it's starting to get too much, it's like, just cool. Let that five minutes be a pretty good five minutes and step back. Don't let guilt come in and try and just, you know, try and be the the bigger dude, so to speak. You've got to be able to guard your heart. You know, there's a very famous proverb that says, um, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. You know, guard your heart with all diligence. Mm-hmm. With all I'm diligence. Processing that. Yeah, because it's what it says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. But does, does that mean that you but you still have an open heart? Oh yeah, yeah. Like what 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 that you means know, what that means you're not that, shutting off you're not shutting off your emotions and feelings. No, totally not. Like like my emotions and feelings have definitely been expressed in many, many ways throughout the years, whether it's in quiet times where I'm just, you know, where I could be, you know, trying to resolve it all and it turns to tears and anguish and um, or it could be through sometimes just through a one-on-one fight, you know, with that with with someone or because it's all stemmed and rooted and grounded in this hurt from a child or it could be one-on-one with my mom where I'm just at war about it. Well, you don't remember what you did. You, you did this, you did that, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. You know, it's like got to be very aware of that because as I was saying, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue, you know, and what we're speaking can be as much as it could be emotional and as much as it could feel good, oh, I'm getting all this out. It's like, well, 
at the same time, we've got to be very aware of the power of our words. So in that sense, I mean, like, that's what's so wonderful about, you know, being able to talk to others about it when you're in a bit of a steadier position to sort of talk about it and then the emotions come can come out in a safer environment um, rather than a hostile environment where it can cr- create and breed more hostility and more separation. And that's something that I've really had to guard myself about because at times I'd just be like, lashing out because it's like I deserve to lash out now because of all this pain that I've had. So, you know, and then it's like, oh, my gosh, this is a huge mess we've got to fix up now, you know. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's the thing, yeah. You know, there's an element of just there's a saying I really like called, you know, keeping your side of the street clean. And that's, you know, focusing on that and just, you know, making sure that you're aware of your conduct and your own behaviour and not being concerned with the behaviour and conduct of others. Mm. You know, there's so mm. much emotion attached with family and yeah. I'll just relate an experience. I mean, I, I went through a lot of turmoil with my father, you know, and such a recurring theme uh, is this, you know, notion of childhood trauma, you know, mm-hmm. and it does, it, it stays with people their whole life. And there's, yeah. I feel like there's two categories of people, like people who acknowledge it and address it and be conscious about growing out of it. And then there's people who just want to ignore it and run from it and then mm. end up suppressing it through you know, uh, negative means. Yeah. Like substances are a really obvious one. Work, work addiction, yeah. other addictions, all that stuff. Totally. Work addictions are common. Yeah. You know, but with my father, when you said, oh, I just adored my father, I, I looked up to him. I mean, I had that too, you know. Mm. Uh, but he left our family when I was young. When I was young. And we had this tumultuous relationship forever. You know, he was aggressive man, violent mm. man, strong mm. man, you know. And... Um, and I got to a point in my adulthood, especially when I had my own kids, I was like, well, you know, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to go near that anymore, but I did really love him. So I just really pulled back, you know, and, and I just didn't make any effort for him. And he passed away last year, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and, it, was, and it, was never, it was never resolved. And you sort mm-hmm. of said like before, like, you know, putting your, putting your toe back in the water and then knowing when to pull out, you know. And that was all I really needed to do, but I but I chose not to, mm-hmm. and I'm. I guess I'm. I'm dealing with that 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 pain now, mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. and it's really painful. So, mm-hmm. thanks for bringing that up. And yeah, dude, no, it's, I, I, I hear you, man. Because like those those things that we deal with, we all deal with them. That, that that's something I'm learning more and more, and I've I've known it, but it, I'm able to articulate it a bit more to sort of know that everyone is so precious, you know, everyone is so fearfully and wonderfully created and into this world going, whoa, okay, we've got to roll with some serious punches and achievements and ups and downs. And my level of pain is equal to this other person's level of pain. But if this, but if I was to swap shoes with this person, I might be like, what the hell? This is way gnarlier than my thing, you know. But we cannot, like, everyone's given what they can handle. You know what I'm saying? Everyone is given what they everyone's given what they can handle like uh you know you look at cars for example you know a little a car dealer won't say hey get this little uh, mg and take it four-wheel driving you know <laughs> like but hey get this big old suv with you know get this big old chevrolet yeah you can take it everywhere you know it's built for it but it's still going to have to handle its own terrain and we get put into certain terrains that are just extremely gnarly but we've got a, either a spirit or a body that can really handle it when we come through and unfortunately sometimes people aren't able to handle it and come through and they end up you know wanting to end their lives and you know that's something I went through in a heavy way at the age of like 
25 as well. Like, um, what do you mean? Through suicide, you know, like suicidal tendencies and all that sort of stuff through 25. And the crazy thing is all this, it's like, where does it all stem from? And it ultimately stems from brokenness. And, and, um, you know, wow. to, to talk about, to talk about things such as, um, you know, like the trauma, you, you mentioned the word trauma, like, and the things we go through, we all go through our fair share, but say, for example, my fair share was pretty much the mental and physical abuse, right? From the ages of def- the, the five to 15, it was heavy. It was really heavy yeah. every day, whether it's being hit, but more so, more than anything I'm finding, it's the, um, it's the words. Like if you're being told, for example, on a daily basis, you know, mate, you are, you are a very, you're very special. You're fearfully and wonderfully created. You were created to like love others, to treat others as yourself. You're destined for greatness. Just remember that you're called to be a leader. A leader is someone who serves and goes out and does wonderful things for the, for their community, for their work. If you're being told things like that every day, you're like, whoa, dude, you're going to be empowered. Now, if you're being told the opposite, you know, everything you touch, you destroy. I wish I never had you. You're an accident. You're not even my child. But all of that with swear words and this and that and that and that. Like, dude, you are going to grow up seriously confused, you know. Now, that's something that I know I received to the point where it physically traumatized me. I was losing my hair at like the age of seven. I remember getting big bald spots and um, I didn't grow properly. I physically didn't grow and reach puberty till the age of like 18 or 19. I had a tiny little voice. I was really small and then I just shut up. It's funny, like through the school years, everyone just knew me as this little gnarly little pest, like just hyperactive little da 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 class clown little kid. And then I get out of school and then I start growing. I start skating more and this and that. And then I start meeting people from school and running into them around the city. And I'm bigger than them, taller than them. And they're like, what? They're thinking like little Sid. And so what I'm getting at, even physically, all this stuff was really tormenting me. I remember in year seven, I, I, I literally had a headache. This sounds weird, but I literally had a headache throughout all of year seven, a whole year. Like what, migraines? Uh, yeah, I had to get CAT scans, this, all this sort of stuff. What? Like, so, so all of this is because of the environment I was in. The, the physical, the mental abuse, this is not like losing your hair at seven and eight, like having clumps of hair just falling out and walking around the house just like, like, a, like, like a terrified, like a terrified little dog, like just crying to like being by myself crying and just trying to trying to just gain some sanity in this crazy environment I'm in called a home. Like it was like that. So when I started hitting the streets, I hit the streets hard because I grew up in Sydney City and I was like, I'm like, I want to just stay out in the streets. I then grew up in Rockdale, which was um, back then it was a, a gnarlier side of Sydney. But then I was like, I just want to get out and I'd stay out. Dude, I started at 11 years old, 10, 11 years old. Start, at 10, I started getting the breakdancing scene. 11, I started getting into like heavy like graffiti and just um, bombing trains, stealing a lot. I was stealing heaps and just being out in the streets because I'm like, I need to get away from this home. Not knowing that, not knowing like I've got a plan, I've got to get out in the streets. It's just like I've got nowhere else to go, basically. So the people I'm hanging with are people that are also out in the streets, you know, uh, at that age. And we're like, so what do we do? Yeah, let's meet up on weekends and just go 
go rack some paint, go steal some whatever, and just go waste some trains or whatever. That's okay. That's a weekend done or whatever. And then hope, and then during the week, do the same thing after school and just go hard or whatever. So it was just, it was a, it's a product of the environment. But what kind of getting back to like the beginning of the combo, it's like the, the art side of things was always there. So if you think about it, if you're a kid that's just into art, but you can't don't have an environment to do it at home. Now you're out in the streets. Then you're going to look at art on the streets. And I was seeing that. I'm like, dude, look at this. I'm going. I'm catching a train to school. I'm like, I had to catch a train to school every day. So that was a bonus for me because it meant I could tag trains every day. And I'd be like, man, look at this wall. Oh, there's a new piece here. There's a new piece there. This is sick. I'd be like, ah, this is art in 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 this new world I'm in. So that caused me to just you know go towards that. And then um, getting back to like what happened at 13 there's a big standstill in everything um i i i should have lost my life at 13 i was um yeah i was hanging out i, I always have to say this very sensitively because it's such a, a full-on thing but i was um coming out of trains at redfern redfern tunnels comes out trains slow down and they start changing tracks and i was hanging out I was in the tunnels, just what's called doing a hangout where you, the doors are busted. Like we'd get in the doors, bust them, and then you just go out and start tagging. I was on the, tra- the trains moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So trains hauling. It was a lot of fun, like, but it's crazy. Like you're hanging completely out of the train. Trains just busting through the tunnels. The lights are flying through, and you're just tagging. And you got a sense of, funnily enough, you'd, I'd have a sense of solace there where it's like it's just me and me writing my name amongst all the hostility and just tagging and then you go to the other side do the same thing and then I'd meet up with some friends after school every day they'd meet me at Central because I'd get on at Martin Place they'd get on at Central and they'd travel all the way from Cogger to Central to meet me and then we'd catch a train back just so we could tag the trains together anyway they met me this one time we we're doing our thing coming out of the tunnels my friend, I'm completely out of the train, just hanging on by the bar and my foot, and then she pulls me in, and I'm like, oh, what's up? I'm thinking the first thing is, like, there's cops or something. But the train's coming out of the tunnel, out into the open area, and it starts to slow down. Always does it. To this day, it still does it, and then it's got to change tracks to get onto the main line. And then she says to me, um, oh, there's rumours of uh, police in this area taking photos. So this is in the early 80s. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. She's just looking out for me, you know, because if you think about it, early to mid-80s, um, heaps of trains just start getting tagged out of nowhere. <laughs> like it's like what the hell is going on with our trains, you know? Like so cops are doing everything they can to try and, you know, you know, get this under control. So, that, so it made sense to me, okay, there's cops in this area. So I come into the train and as I go back in, I remembered looking to my left and she, the last thing I saw was she grabbed the middle rail and looked out to see if there was any police. All this that I've just described is about 23 seconds. I timed it one time, 23 seconds. She's pulled me in, tells me she looks out and as she looks out, the train's changing track. So it's moving back and forth. And as she's looking out, oncoming bridge wall clips the back of her, clips the back of her head and spits her out of the train. And it was the loudest bang, dude. It was so loud that I looked up 
to the um i looked up and down the carriage because i thought something came from like the carriage and then i turned around and i and the other two girls i was with they're like where's where's tracy and we're like we, I look out. I look out of the train, and there she is. Because the train's moving slow, right? Because it's changed, changing tracks. So it was still well enough time for me to look out and see that she's just lying on the tracks there, like on the rocks, like just limp. And the, but the train's still going, and it starts to speed up because the next stop was out at Sydney. So we they we got off at Sydney. Told them what happened. I had to get home. I took all the girls' bags, school bags, while they stayed back. And thank God to this day, Tracy's alive, but she not. She but, survived. Yeah, dude, she survived, but she suffers from migraines every day and she had some serious brain issues that she had to deal with. And But I look at that and I go, dude, think about it. She unknowingly saved my life. My whole body was hanging out the train. So and she, and she, got, she got clipped on the side of the head. So she, in 23 seconds, my life was spared just like that. And I'm like, that happened at 13, so... And the reason it, it like the art just took a stance was because of the trauma that I went through, even with that, not knowing at 13 what trauma is, <laughs> but physically I knew because every time I went to tag, I'd uncontrollably be shaking. Every time I'd go draw or do something in relation to this art scene that I was into, dude, I'd, mm. I'd shake. And I'm like, I'm trying because, to stop it. Because you witnessed a near fatal, like you witnessed a near, fa- near fatal experience. Totally. You witnessed. Yeah, that's what I witnessed and I was saved from some my, – my, I was – it was so quick, dude. Like I was out of the train, pulled in, she goes out, she gets hit. It's kind of like I was just replaced and it's like, okay, this, this girl is going to suffer now for the rest of her life with this brain issue but you, Sid, should have died that day, completely would have been smashed by this oncoming bridge wall, just gone. Anyway – <clears throat> Would it be safe to say that, like, originally, like, art was your first escape from your reality because your reality as a child was gnarly? There's no doubt about that. Um, I guess it, what I start thinking is that people who have these gnarly childhoods, the, the best escape, and it does work in terms of escapism, is gravitating towards substance abuse. Yeah. That was never part of your, that was never part of your story? It, it was in some ways, but more than anything – um, the things that I was drawn to and attracted to were um, things that involved agility and, and what people call skill. So my, as I was saying, like my first few memories of, um, of, of things that toys, let's call them toys for lack of a better word, was skateboarding and bikes, um, predominantly skateboarding. So skateboarding, I remember being so drawn to it and wanting to do it because my brother did it and, you know, he had a, a board. It was just a, a flat piece of wood. It was like 1976 or so and the be- and the wheels were these like crazy, I don't know what material they were, and the bearings actually just rolled at the bottom because there was no um, bearing seal in them. And, no, ca- no case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just wanting to be on that or wanting to sort of, I'd see him do, like, he's like, check this out. I just learned this thing called crab walks. And I'm like, oh, man, I've got to do crab walks. I oh, check this out. I learned Tic Tacs. I'm like, what? And I'm there trying to learn. So it was some, so that, I got really drawn to that. So when I'd, when I'd, um, so in, in, in terms to what you were saying, escapism became something like, oh, doing something and getting good at it and and then wanting to achieve things and just wanting to, 
um, produce something and be like, look what I've done, you know, because I didn't have a dad to sort of accredit me and say, you know. Uh, well, here's a memory. I've got yeah. a random memory. Yeah, yeah. I, read an in, I read an interview of yours <laughs> yeah. in, it might have been a slam magazine years ago. I can't remember, maybe late 90s. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I, this stuck with me. I'm remembering it. And in that interview, you said that your dad said to you once that, son, I don't care what you do, but whatever you choose to do, be the best at it. Yeah, that's right. Do you yeah. remember saying that? Yeah, I do. I do because I tell my kids that as well. My kids say to me, yeah, whatever and you – I say to my kids, yeah. because of you, dude. All oh, right. How random is that? That's true, true story. That, that's so cool, yeah. Because that, that's something that's lived with me as in like – because you know how I was saying how I'd stick to my dad and be like just wanting to be around him, but he was hardly ever around. Like there'd be seven years and I wouldn't see him. And then I'd see him and be like, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't care if I hadn't seen him. I wouldn't feel hurt. I'd be like – I don't care. This is sick. It's my dad. <laughs> you know? How was he feeling? Was he emotional that he hadn't seen you that long? Was he feeling that strain of not seeing you or not? No, no, I wouldn't see it. Like for him, every time I'd see him to this day, um, like when I'd see him back then, it'd be like he'd see me and he'd just be like, hey, son, he'd be like the best dude to hang out. He's extremely charismatic and lovable and he's got so much charisma and class about him that you're just like, ah, oh, dude, this guy, is just, he's, just, he's just awesome. He can get away with it. You know what I mean? He's one of those sort of guys that can just get away. You're like, and if I think about it, I'm like, dude, the guy didn't even remember my birthday or, you know, I met, he, he misspelled he my name on a card one time. I'm like, but, you know, and I'd hardly see the dude. But when he's around, I'm like, oh, man, this is my dad, dude. You know, I'm so proud. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like, and my mom would always, like, tell me about that and to be careful about all types of stuff anyway but so need their dads exactly exactly dude the fatherhood is so 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 good like it's such a wonderful wonderful calling and and like i, I just look at that he'd say things like that to me very rarely i think he said it maybe twice and he said that he said son he goes i don't care if you choose to if you want to be uh someone who does the garbage or you want to be a doctor or whatever he goes but whatever you choose to do do it to the best of your ability do it to the best of your ability you know like he wouldn't encourage me to be the best in the field to sort of say rise to the top and be better than everyone now he'd just say dude whatever your hand and you know what i love about that there's a there's a very um there's a very well-known proverb in the bible that says whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might so that's something that i've that's definitely was instilled in me when i was young and i'm like they go okay i wanted to do skating but dude at the age of 11 i had the gnarliest motorbike accident and my leg was smashed and then i had to, yeah, I had to get it reconstructed at the age of 18. Like I had major knee reconstruction and I've, I've had major knee issues throughout all my skateboarding, like major. All my friends know about it because I kind of laugh about it because I'd always just be there complaining or just going, oh, my knees, this and that. But as, you, as we're sort of getting on with this story is that you kind of end up realizing, but I live with this philosophy of like whatever my hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I don't care if I've got knee problems, I'm just going to go and go hard and do it the best I can do. Oh, dude, I want to do this double set. I'd love to do a, a big run. I, like my skating years was I always had the a spirit to want to go big, but I couldn't because of my disability. So it's like, okay, I'll learn 
what what are this what are, what can I get as a strength? So I started ollieing, ollieing higher, putting challenges before me. I'll be like, okay. I ended up getting known for having big ollies and pop and stuff, but it wasn't because that's what I was geared towards. I was kind of geared towards just wanting to go big. When I used to, when I started skating the city a lot with Alex Smith, for example, we'd go out and look for big gaps. We were out looking for big double sets, but I'd get, but I'd be really challenged because I'm like, I've got a really bad knee and I've had it since I was 11 from a big accident. And it was with him out at Miranda that I had a, that both my knees just busted out. Um, skating one car park level to another, we were ollieing this thing and coming down. Both my knees just smashed to the point where I thought they were paralyzed because I couldn't feel them. So then that triggered a whole nother spiral of more knee problems. And um, so I always had it in me to want to go bigger, but throughout the skating years, it was so, it was such a, like, how can I put it? Like, such a like, oh, this sucks. I've got to deal with this problem, but I want to go big, but I can't. So I guess I better try just try something else then you know like more of a tech tech guy yeah try but you played the cards you were dealt exactly yeah 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 and try and going back to that philosophy of like whatever your hand find like whatever you choose to do do it to your best of your ability (laughs) so it's kind of like that that. say that bible quote again um whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might now that's interesting because you know some people never find that thing Mm. you know they don't find that calling or that i won't say gift Mm. but you know whatever your hand finds to do Mm. you know and i feel very blessed that i found things that Mm. that light me up like that Mm. but you know what shan like the way i look at it it's like i look at it these days and i go okay what's my hand finding to do today fatherhood husband you know um, I've got my like when I like when I wake up in the morning, for example. I've got all this history, like you've got all this history, like everyone's got all this history. As soon as you wake up, it's like the mind just starts going, and it could be worries and concerns and this and that. It's like, well, now is the time to find what I've got to do and do it with all my might. And is what I'm finding to do right now a friend to my destiny? What is my destiny? What's the vision that I have for my life? Okay, to be a, a good father, a, 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 let's say a great father, a great husband, a great person within the community, a great influence to the sphere of influence that I have. Okay, so what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, is that a friend to my destiny? What I'm listening to, what I'm reading, what I'm, what, what I'm choosing to, you know, get busy with, is it a friend to my destiny? And Am I doing it with all my might? So, you know, I wake up in the morning and, you know, I read the Word. Like I love reading the Word. I'll read the Bible and just look at that and I'll just stop and think and, and, you know, just call out to God if I've got concerns or issues and just be like, you know, help me out with this, you know. I love the fact that, you know, God is a father to the fatherless and that's something that I feel very akin to, you know, a father to the fatherless. Because I haven't had that father, that mentor. So I'm there going, I'm there going, God, help me out and all of this. You know, I feel like a little kid still. 
that's broken and hurt, but now I'm in this world, you've given me so much, but I'm still just trying to figure it all out. I'm looking at other mentors that do life well. I'm looking at other fathers that do well. I study their books. I read their books because I want a faithful relationship. I want to know how to love my wife accordingly. I want to learn how to provide for a family. So I've got to learn from other people because I haven't had the father, but I'm like, you know, help us out in all this. You're not being complacent in that. Exactly. Ever. I'm not ever. I do. I, I find it hard to be complacent because I find that when I'm not, if I stand still, I feel like, well, I may be able to just. But when I say complacent, like there's times where I'm able to definitely stand still and just just appreciate because the goal ultimately throughout the day is a state of contentment, right? Like, and what I mean by that is like whether I'm abounding or whether I'm a base, whether I'm going really well or whether I'm going or I'm stressing out, I've got to be able to find that position where I'm content, you know, and to, to just be content with the circumstance I've got. Knowing that I'm not cheating anything or being a bit of a swindler on the side, I'm not going to be content. I've got to understand that my levels of integrity, are they for real? Like if I put the mirror in front of me, Am I being honest throughout life? Am I truly, am I cheating on taxes? Am I watching a bit of porn on the side? Am, am I being unfaithful to my wife in that way by watch, by just getting off on some other chick? Am I having an affair? Am I, am I out stealing or trying to get a bit more from, you know, trying to cheat the tax man or whatever? Like, am I living a life of integrity, right? So in that, I know that I'm not doing, I'm guarding my heart. Going back to what I was saying before, I'm guarding my heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. So I'm being very honest and aware with myself against this mirror of truth, so to speak. And it's challenging because we've got thoughts, I've got history, I've got gnarly stuff that I've seen in my life, I've got a whole lot of stuff. So I'm like, they're going, all right, with what I've got, my faith, fatherhood, relationship, my kids, my my artwork, my skateboarding, am I doing it with all my, with the best of my ability? Do you know what I'm saying? Am I, re- am I really being integrous and a good steward of it? It's a gift. All these things are a gift, dude. You know, all these things are a gift. Am I being a good steward of this gift or am I neglecting it basically? And I've got to be honest with that. I've got to honestly just sit there and be honest with it because if I'm not, then I, I'm thankful that I can do what I can in order to, to try and resolve that in not so, in, in not a way where and, and not in such a way where it's just a burden I have to do it because like this is like I have to do it because it's the right thing to do no dude because it is the right thing to do and it's a rad thing to be faithful it's a rad thing to be an, you know to, to be a positive influence to be a great parent and to be a good pillar of the community that's a great thing and we've all got the capacity and calling to be able to do that we really do but because of certain circumstances that are held in the past you may say well you don't understand my past dude i come from this i come from that i had this happen all my life so you know f the system f that f this blah blah blah. totally that's a good excuse but are you going to live within that resentment or are you going to be able to sort of step out and use it as some fuel or use it as a as a as a like looking into the rearview mirror, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? When you're driving down the road, you put your destination to the GPS. That's your vision for your future. And when you're driving down that road, what are the, what's the rearview mirror? That's your memories. That's your past. You use the, you look into the rearview mirror to know when to change lanes or 
to do certain things. You know, like I can look at my past and go, hey, I remember being, I remember that sort of way of being towards, um, I remember when my parents were like that to me and how it affected me. Well, I better not do that. Let's change lanes. I'm off to this destination. I've got my, do you know what I'm saying about driving down that road of life? I do. I do. And I think having a passion is a gift in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you kind of alluding to the fact that that emerged from a conscious contact with a higher power of your own understanding? Um, Or let me, sorry, can I just finish there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mind. In regards to like, you obviously were drawn to art and skateboarding innately. And maybe when you were young, you didn't question that. But if we break it down onto more of a micro level, let's say you're at a point where you want to produce a piece of work but you don't know what to do at this, this stage, yeah. are you feeling called towards certain certain pieces or do you wait for an intuitive sense? Um, I guess the question I'm asking yeah. is how how is this inspiration being spoken to your heart, if that yeah. makes sense? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I think at the core level, it's definitely at a place where I've had to understand my identity because we act out of our, our identity. Yeah. Um, another another well-known thing out of the out of the Bible, it says, as a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. So if I believe I'm a failure, if I believe I'm not worth much, and I've been down this track, I was mentioning before, I've gone down this track many a time, and I go through it even Throughout the week, it, it plagues me at times, and I've got to be able to wrestle with that and be able to overcome that. You know, oh, I'll never amount to nothing. I was told all these things as a kid, dude. So I've got to wrestle with these. Like, I'll never. This was my identity. This is what I'm saying. My identity was I'll never amount to nothing. Everything I touch, I destroy. I'm an accident. I wish I would. The, the people that bore me into this world wish they never had me. If I was loved, if I was wanted, then why aren't they with me wanting to nurture me and bring me up and, and raise me in a certain way? Okay, sure, I'm being provided for, but what about the words and the love and the attention and the and the encouragement? It's not there. Dude, it was it was programmed as your default setting as a kid. And I'm just sitting here Interestingly, just yeah. really and I'm sitting here just finding it so interesting that you've spent most of your life unraveling that programming. Yeah. You know, and it you know, the pessimist in me just sort of goes like, because there's so many people in similar situations. Totally, to you. yeah, I know. I mean, most people, you know, because it's a very hard day when you when you realise that your parents are just flawed humans like you, mm. you know, because we, we do put them on a pedestal. Yeah. And they, they do the best they can with the cards they've been dealt. And, you know, let's face it, being a parent's hard and a lot of parents stuff it up. Mm. And the knock-on effect is a cycle, this cycle that people fall into and then it goes on and on. Mm. And I've actually heard that, you know, the cycle of trauma lasts seven generations. And, mm. But then there's, I feel like there's people like you who are these conscious seekers who can break that cycle. Mm. Mm. So you don't, you don't do it to your own, your children. Mm. You know? It's, and, but it's just so fucking hard. It is. It's super hard. <laughs> it's, it's, and, it, and the cool thing is, though, I must say, like, we're extremely resilient, like, as a, as a creation, like, we're extremely resilient. We, we, we go, you know, life, as you know, is very much about overcoming, you know. It's yeah. very much about overcoming. But we, we're born into this world of brokenness where we're reaching out to like whether it's drugs or, you know, philosophies or relationships or pornography or, you know, um, fame or whatever. We're always like reaching out to like basically a saviour. That's what we're reaching out towards. 
we want to be saved. We're like, get me out of this. But, oh, but life is so rad, so good. Oh, life sucks. Oh, help me. <laughs> We're always reaching out for something to somehow enhance and make our life better, right? So yeah. because we've got an enemy, basically, think about it. It's because we've basically got something that wants to hold us down, whether it's our thoughts, but ultimately it's the brokenness. And what throughout the generations is basically being called sin, brokenness, errors, yeah. wrongdoing. And then so the way that I've looked at and gone and overcome certain things, it hasn't been my doing. It's just basically been I've tried so many different things, Shan, like when it comes to growing up, especially in my 20s, has this. I'd throughout, you know, how, as, especially as just as people, especially as within our circle of boys, right? We're just boys growing up. We're like, oh, we're skating. We're, we've got this competitive edge where we get stoked for one another. That might inspire us to go, oh, I want to go learn that now, you know, or I'm going to want to try one up or do whatever. We've got that sort of edge about us, right? So, when I was young, I used to go, oh, man, I'd hear, I'd hear amongst a group of circles, and go, oh, that guy's so good. Oh, man, how good is this? How good is that? I'm like, dude, I want to be good. Like, I'm there going, how do you get this good thing? Like this thing called good, everyone's saying this good thing. What is good? <laughs> I used to just be like, because I want, I want to get some, some, you know, some props here, you know. And I'd be like, what is this good thing? So during, it, even though it was through the years where we were kind of getting – really good at skating, we're getting recognized for it. I'd still have this thing of like, this guy's good, this guy's so good. And it'd be like kind of like this, almost like this competitive envy that I'd be there going, oh, man, I want some of that, you know. I want to be good. But I had to sort of go. I feel like you suffer from imposter syndrome? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Like because I'm there going, I haven't, my identity, think about it, my identity is so broken that I'm out in this world now with people that I can relate to. I'm like, it's like that little kid's is still wanting love and guidance, but I'm there going, if I had it as a kid, if I had a parent saying to me, oh, you're great, you're good, you're, you, you don't need to strive, just keep doing what you're doing, keep excelling what you're doing, look after your body, look after your health, keep do- I wouldn't have to be there trying to get it off other people, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so I have to sort of try to break all this stuff down psychologically, just going, okay, what's good? So I used to start saying to myself, okay, Good. What is good? All right, good. I've got to figure out what's the goodest thing. <laughs> you know? So I'd start going, I've got to learn. I've got to learn. So I started learning about like philosophies and religion and all that. I started studying Taoism, Islam, Buddhism, New Age. At what age? Uh, early 20s, like 23-ish. I started really getting into it. You know, like I started reading a lot more because like hanging out with um, – hanging out with – Davo and all the boys a lot. Like I started seeing he was reading a lot, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's sick. I remember I used to like reading when I was younger, but I haven't done it because I just want to skate with you boys now. So I better start reading too. So I started reading more, but I'm gone. But I've got this like desire to, to learn about what's good. But I had to break it down and go, okay, is good just for my own selfish need because I want to be a good skater or so I better just look at the best skater? No, no, no. I was trying to get deeper with it and going, okay. I want to learn what's truly good. Like what is, you know, so I had to start think, studying. So I didn't have to, but I started studying um, 
more of those things which people call spiritual matters, you know. <laughs> Do you think subconsciously you were already seeking some answers to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely, yeah. definitely. And, and I think we all are really because we all, you know how people say, oh, you're very artistic or you're, you're into the art stuff. It's like, no, dude, think about art, right? Art, some people say it's, it's abbreviated for artificial because you create something okay. that's, you create something that's just basically a representation of life. The only thing an artist isn't able to do with their painting of a person or whatever is they can't breathe life into it, right? So an artist is basically looking at something and drawing his representation of it. And when it comes to abstract art, abstract art hits is abstract, but what it is touching upon is maybe is more so on the emotional side of things. And emotions are part of life as well. So it could be like, oh, that abstract art makes me feel very tormented. Oh, it's very uplifting and fresh. You know, these are these are matters that you can't exactly touch upon. Like you can't touch upon joy. You know, it's like joy is is not a tangible thing. It's something that is a spiritual thing that is able to animate someone in such a way. Or is the art helping a person make sense of life? Um, I don't think it's making helping make people sense of life. I think what it's doing it's causing people to appreciate life because. Art surrounds us everywhere. What I mean by that is that every creation points to a creator, okay? Every design points to a designer. An intricate design points to an intricate designer. You know, so if you look at this, this is, people wouldn't say it's art, it's just a bottle. It's, but it was created um, and it was, and it points to a creator. Like the person who knows this bottle the best is the one who made it. They know what type of plastic it is, what it's built for, et cetera, et cetera, right? So everything really is art. You know, someone is creating something basically. But the person who created this bottle isn't deemed an artist. He's just someone who, you know, <laughs> makes makes bottles. But but then the I think the difference with like say a painter or, or someone who's uh, a musician or something, you know, musicians are able to – touch upon emotions and, and and draw out a sense of elation or sadness within the music they play, you know. But And that's probably because they just really wanted to harness in on that and as within their life and that's what ends up being expressed and therefore communicated to the to the viewer. Yeah. I've got a random question that just came yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Like going along with that train of thinking, would you consider an engineer to be an artist? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I look at doctors. I look at anything because, like, everything is creation, man. Like, you look around, like, you look around at, at the intricate design of everything. Like, look at the intricate design of the hand. Like, that's why. So epic. That's why I look at when people question God. Like, I'm like, going, I don't know. I honestly, it 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 kind of bewilders me how people cannot believe that that an intricate designer or creator exists. It really bewilders me because every creation, every design points to a designer. Like, if this was a ran- if I was a random accident or a product of a Big Bang or whatever, I just think, man, not even in reality is that the case because I cannot get my palette of paint and have a random accident and suddenly I'll see a landscape or I'll see, you know, with my palette of paint, if I just tripped over on the canvas, I'm just going to have all these blotches or whatever. Oh, but hold on, if I wait there, if I stay there for a couple of million years, it might start evolving into a fish, which then turn into a monkey, which then it's not going to happen, man. Every design 
has a designer and I'm just there going so for me personally I'm there going it bewilders me that oh god argument I'm yeah. like wow dude that that because we are perfectly designed and you just have to witness a childbirth fully or ha- to to understand that. the fact that that keeps happening the woman opens her legs and a child keeps coming out it's not it's not a, it's not a fish that comes out dude it's not a it's it's, insane it's not a random accident you know but dude, the, it was a mystical experience uh, you know it's cliche and mm. you know you, you can never really understand it till you witness it oh sorry about that noise in the background oh good but yeah it, it is um yeah yeah man I, it's a it's a wonderful thing you know like i look at i look at I look at creation art around me. I look at it all. It's like every everything really in its in its sense it points back to a creator. You know, like this this cup. <laughs> but then someone could go ahead and just do some random awesome looking cup, and they're like, "Oh, it's a work of art." And it's like, yeah. but the same principle is behind it. Maybe not the same emotion was behind it, because this is just pop 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 cup. Okay, mass produce it now. But another one could have been like, okay, this one wants to re- wants to reflect maybe the beauty of a woman or and then you know what i mean or yeah. all types of different things but the principle the basic principle behind it is that it's it's a creation and it's pointing a creator so and that's what people look at as artists they're like they call them the today they call them oh you're creative it's like well so is a so is a doctor who's patching up a wound you know he's he's creating some healing right there for that person or whatever you know like so that, that that's why i believe every person should be honored you know like to honor all people you know like for what they for what they're doing and contributing towards you know, you know, for the better of humanity, or or for the for the wholeness of humanity. You know, every human being deserves honor in that sense. Would you say on this journey that you're on in life that you've become more empathetic to others? Oh, yeah. you've gotten older. Oh yeah, yeah, big time, dude, big time. Because what I was saying before, like through the mid twenties sort of side of things, it was very much all about me wanting to sort of break out, like that break out of that cycle so to speak you know like I was touching upon that word good before the word good and how I was on this quest to be like that was a selfish pursuit dude like because what I was doing was it's like I wanted to I started thinking okay how do I get better I started reading a lot of self-help stuff as well I'm like and ultimately it was like a pursuit for my own for my own self to get bigger and bigger and better, more more popular, more famous, more recognized, more praised, this and that. But th- this is the funny thing, Shan, is that I, st- I thought, yeah, dude, and I started thinking to myself going, I started saying to myself, okay, who's the most famous person in the world? I want to learn from this person because I want to get famous. I started saying stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just like a self-help thing. So I, I started thinking, is it uh, – is it a, a movie star? Is it an actor? Or is this and that? I basically broke it down. I was like, oh, it's this Jesus character. So I was like, and I didn't believe in in Jesus, God, well, this sort of second. stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I lost you there for a second. So you wanted to find out who the most famous person in the world was. Yeah. And it was, and then you decided that that was Jesus. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense he's that famous. It, he's the most so famous then, if you think about so it. So then you you started to want to aspire to be Jesus. No, 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 not at all. I, like I, I started, I started thinking because I, I had to be honest with myself, dude. Because I, I had to say, like, who truly is the most famous in all of history? Like, yeah. so I had to be honest and go, well, it is Jesus. Like everyone can pretty much accredit, accredit that. You know, he's someone who 
I had to go into the fact that whether this guy, this Jesus dude, even existed in life. And there's all the evidence is there. I've gone into that quite heavily. It's called apologetics. I've gone into apologetics quite a lot to sort of um, basically study like the case for this character. Anyway, long story short, ended up kind of realizing, okay, yeah, I guess this guy is. He's got buildings everywhere. People around the world accredit this guy to being God and this and that, and he existed. So, you know, pretty much he's the most famous dude. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to, I want to study this dude because I want to be famous in my world. Do you know what I mean? So I wasn't saying I want to be Jesus. I'm saying I just want to, I just want more sort of attention and praise, so to speak. So I started basically going, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I know where I can go. I'll go to this Bible and I'd pick up a Bible. And, and during that time, funnily enough, um, I started skating for Grace, Grace Skateboards, which is uh, Andrew Curry's company. Marty Baptist? Oh, no, Andrew Curry and Andrew, Marty Baptist. Andrew Curry's company. Um, and he, and it was Marty Baptist, Adrian Powell and myself. And, and, the, uh, and this was around the time that Kaza had, um, you know, he'd come out talking to people saying that, you know, he was a Christian, this and that. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I used to just look at that and go, okay, the only other so-called Christians I knew of in my world was, you know, Salman Agar, uh, Lance Mountain, Richard Mulder would drop drop the Jesus thing every now and then. I'd be like, oh, okay, interesting. These guys are into it as well. Sweet, I'm skating for a company. The owners are Christian. The, the logos are Dove or whatever. I'm like, I'm pumped because I'm just so down for Kaza and still am. I'm just mm. like, this is sick, sick company. Um, Kaza offered me a pro model board. I'm like, this is awesome. But during all this time, I started wanting to go on that pursuit of still wanting to just be better, which was, was taking me to, back to that whole Jesus thing is that I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to learn from this Jesus character because he's super famous. So I started – opening up the Bible and reading his words. I'm like, this is easy. All these words are in red. I'm like, this is sick. Okay, I'm learning, reading, reading, reading. And then I started, I started doing all that. I started questioning what's the most powerful thing in the world? Like what's the most powerful thing in this world? Because I want some of that. You know, I'm like, and I was thinking, is it money? I was like, oh, is money the most powerful thing? Is that the thing to pursue? I was like, uh, no, probably not money. Maybe it's power. What is it? Uh, I'd be like, is it power? Is it well, because and I'd be like, no, nah, but people want power and they also want money to have power to kind of spend on themselves or on the ones that they love. Or, and then I was like, oh, okay, hold on. It's this love thing. Love's the most powerful thing in the world because people sometimes want power in order to have self-love or people want people want um, money to be able to spend on the ones they love, you know, like. Or, so I was trying to just figure out in my own basic brain. So I was like, oh, I think it's love. Love's the most powerful thing. And the most famous person in the world is this Jesus guy. Okay, cool. That makes a bit of sense to me. And I thought I hit the jackpot when um, when I started realizing that Jesus' whole life was all about displaying the greatest love um, and ultimately saying that God is love and, you know, the greatest love that any anyone can have for, for someone to be there, to lay their life down for another person, which is what um, what the gospel is all about, saying that, you know, God embodied himself in Christ and laid down his life for humanity to, you know, to to basically um, bring forgiveness and, and bring people back into fellowship and union with, with God. So I was like, oh, okay, I kind of get that, but whatever. I still want to go on this selfish pursuit for myself. And the funny thing is, is that I said to myself, I still remember saying to myself in early to mid-20s going, I'm going to make myself a student of this Jesus dude because I want to get really, really awesome at 
at me <laughs> being sick and famous and this and that. But I came across these words that Jesus said, which challenged me right to the core of myself and my selfish pursuits. And he says this, he says, if you want to be my disciple, I'm like, yeah, that's me. He goes, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I, and I read that and I was like, dude, that, I go, uh, that's not me, man. I'm here to make myself better here. I'm not here to deny myself. So I put that down. I was like, I'm not for it. I was like, I'm going to go on another pursuit. And I just went at something else. Was, put, yeah. was that because you were still wanting to run on your own self-will? Yeah. You didn't want to give your will over? Exactly, yeah. I was just on that selfish pursuit of like more me, more money, more fame, more me, 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 you know? <laughs> which, is addi- which is addictive, right? Big and time. Especially when, when you get recognized for something and then it sort of validates that and kind of builds the ego and the self-will even more, which is negative. Yeah, dude. Do you suffer Do you suffer with that even in this day and age with your art, which is, I mean, your art's profound. There's no doubt about it. And yeah. you obviously would get, you would get a lot of, validation from that yes and do you associate your own personal self-worth with it still that's awesome i love that you asked that question because um because no i don't um but i'll tell you why are you sure no i would no but that's amazing i'll tell you why now i'll tell you why that like i I can easily say no because it's getting back to those mid-20s and what was going on when I when I came to that realization of like oh, okay I don't want to follow or learn from this Jesus dude anymore because he's telling me to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him I'm like nah I'm not down for that I just want to do me you know I just want to be more you know get more props basically and um, so I put all that aside but there was still that longing of just my brokenness and I was still. Through those mid-20s, life started spiraling down even harder. I started getting more, the suicidal tendencies and the thoughts started getting heavier. Now, how's this for a story, dude? Like, it came to a point, I was 25, I'd broken up with this girl that I was, I thought I was so in love with, but um, my living situation was really gnarly, dude. Like, it was black. It was black. I was doing some really heavy stuff, whether it was the thoughts I was getting into, the things I was just consuming, um, you know, I'd be I'd, I'd have girls that were just yeah, what people would basically deem to be some of the worst sort of girls that you could imagine in a way. But like girlfriends or like friends and friends or just uh, girlfriends as well. You know, like that were that were also just trying to get through life and do things. I was living with people that were doing some really gnarly stuff, to to to, to say the least, and. Um, and then life started spiraling down really heavily and I was, yeah, I was extremely suicidal, dude, like um, to the point where this is a heavy story and I can't explain it to this day except for just saying it's a good thing and it was God intervening basically because it's, you know, people say there's no such thing as miracles and this and that, but I'll just share something right now that you'd be after just a credit to being a good thing because I'm alive today. Um, <clears throat> I was in my room completely just out of it just just wanting to end my life now think about this shan i'm on the outside it's sid tapia sponsored by some of the you know coolest brands in skateboarding he's in all the mags it's doing really well people think i'm awesome or whatever at at skating i'm in my room dark as dark can be just in 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 the heart and soul 
I even had a Bible open, bro, because I was crying and just crying out for help because I'd broken up with this girl. But all of the stuff that I've sort of touched on my early years or that, it was just all really coming to the surface. I said to myself, that's it, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my life. I thought I'd been churning for a while how to do it, what to do. I'm in, in the room and then I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom and do what I've got to do. And it was a room just next door. I still remember I had a phone, and it was one of those Boost mobile phones. I was sponsored by Boost at the time. I still remember the phone. You know, I had all this cool stuff going on in my life, you know, so-called cool stuff. And and there I am. I was in tears, just crying out to anything and everything, just kind of, I need help. I'm about to lose. I'm going. And I made a decision in my head. I said, that's it. I'm, I'm getting up to go to the bathroom. Bro, as soon as I went to get up like this, the phone rings. I just, I did made this in going, and I was like, whoa, I got caught. I'm like, the phone's ringing. And it really tripped me out because it's like, if I answer the phone, that means I want my life to continue. So what's the point of answering a phone? Like I, if I'm really doing what I've got to do, I don't want to answer a phone ever again. Yeah. Like, so I'm there, I was trapped. I'm there like in between death and a phone call and I'm there going and the phone kept ringing and I'm I was in here just going what do I do what do I do what do I do and the phone's ringing so I just picked up the phone and all I said was hello like in that sort of tone I'm not there chirpy or whatever just said hello and it's my ex-girlfriend from Chico California she's in Chico California and she's crying on the other line like really desperately crying and the first thing she says to me is, Sid, what's wrong? I'm scared. And, oh and I was just like, I, I just like, what? I didn't say anything because I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of my life, everything. But at the same time, I'm scared of what she's actually saying. And she's crying and she's like, I'm really scared, Sid. Tell me what's going on. I know something's wrong with you. I'm scared. Tell me quick. I'm like, nothing, dude. I was like, chill. Like I was just trying to shut so, it off. So – Sorry, so she just felt the energy. Something, yeah, dude. And she just got, felt- she's just prompted to call and she was scared. I hadn't heard from her in six months. Six months I hadn't dude. heard from her, right? And after this podcast, someone will tell you. Yeah, so I yeah, say it on here. for sure. And I, I didn't go into details with it at all. I just was, I just sort of made out like, you know, whatever, what's up with you? And she's like, look, I'm, I'm drunk. She was, she'd had, she'd been out for the night. She goes, I'm drunk, I don't care, I could be hysterical, I don't care, it's not that I, I want to be with you. Or oh, she was saying all this stuff. She goes, I'm just scared, there's something wrong with you. I'm like, don't worry, whatever. Dude, that tripped me out so hard. Now, I, I look at that now and go, wow, that was an amazingly good thing that happened. And remember I was talking about the word good? Um, I now look at that word in such a different way. I just look at the word, I just look at there's good and there's evil, right? Okay. Subtract the letter O from the word good, you get God. Add the letter add the letter D to the word evil, you get devil. They're just the source of these things. It's like a black and white thing. There's good, there's white. There's dark, there's black. There's evil, good and evil. There's love and light. There's, sorry, there's love and hate, right and wrong, up and down, daytime, nighttime. There's two extremes in this world. There's two contrasts. You know, you even see it in the yin and yang. But everything in between is the gray zone. Everything in between is a gray zone, ultimately leading to 
the final contrast of whether it's black or white. Dude, I was in that predicament right there and there, dude. I was like, okay, now what happened to me at that instant with that phone call was a good thing. So I look at it and go, that was a God thing. You know, God is love, the Bible says. God is love. And in him there is no darkness, the Bible says. God is love and in him there is no darkness. It's a good thing. But we're born into a world where we've got a mixture of grays, man. We've got a mixture of grays and we're called to suss it all out. We're in this brokenness. And there's only one Savior. And we all know who that is. And he's the Savior of your soul. He's not the Savior of your finances, of your, of your, you know, your identity or your attitude or whatever. And that's kind of touching back on what I was saying there. I ended up always having to come back to those words that I was plagued with. Like when I was reading that Bible of Jesus, I was like, I was always having to come back. And to the point where I, where I ended up having to surrender and going back to your question about how I deal with that now with my artwork and people give me props and credit and all that sort of stuff. I realize now that everything I've been given is a gift, you know, Everything I've been given is a gift. I didn't come into this world saying, I wasn't in my mother's womb saying, I've got this gnarly plan for my life. I'm going to be a rat artist. I'm going to be a good skateboarder. And these are just things I was attracted to. These are, oh, these are things that I just was attracted towards. I was geared and created for such things. Now, these are gifts that I've got. It's up to me to be a good steward of those things. You know, I'm a vessel. I'm a vessel. And, I, and it's like, what am I choosing to to, to sort of gear my life into it. So now I look at it and when people are saying, oh, look at your, with your art, this and that, it's lovely getting, you know, people saying, oh, dude, your art's epic, your art's that. But I realise that I'm I'm just the vessel for it, you know. Like I didn't create those colours. I didn't create my hand and my mind and my and everything to be able to do this work that I do. It's like it's something that I can definitely do and fathom and control in certain ways, but... I look at it and go, all glory to God for that, the creator of it all, because I didn't create myself, dude. All all glory to the creator. So I'm able to – I've got my identity is very much fixed in that, and and human beings act out of their identity. So I was definitely acting out of my selfish identity back in the day where I was all about me and look how rad I am. I want to be better, this and that. But I did come to a point of brokenness where I had to surrender and go, wow, it's not me. It's like I'm just a vessel. I'm just – I'm a vessel and it's up to me now to be a light into the world. And the one who showed it and displayed it ultimately was Christ. And he's just this living example of, of the beauty and, 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 and the perfect love of God. And he's offers that free gift to all of us. And I, I'm like, well, please, it's a free gift. I, I believe. And I, I want to receive that free gift, you know, and I'm sorry for the way I've led my life and wanted to always be away from from it all but i can see the goodness of god now and i'm like i surrender and in that surrender i've definitely come into a life where i've still got my ups and downs my struggles my battles in here and my memory but my nature has changed you know what i mean Shan? my nature has definitely so, changed so so therefore would you say a motivating factor for your art predominantly would be to be of service to the community Oh yeah, big time. Is big that time. is that what's driving you now? Yeah. If you feel big like, time, if you feel Shane. like a vessel, if you feel like a vessel. Yeah. Well, what's that? And you're you know you're creating these things. What yeah, of service to the community. That's beautiful, Shan. Yeah, it really is. Is that, is that is that how you describe it? Very much so. I even had it on my little sticker that I created and my and my A frame for my gallery. It says uh, delightful community service. Like 
my gallery. It right. says Sydney. Sydney's gallery's got a little dude there that's got a skateboard, a paintbrush, and a spray can. And um, and at the bottom it says the address and um, and it says a delightful community service because I see right. it that way, dude. It's like we're of service. We're called to we're called to love one another and do unto others as we want to have do to ourselves. You know, like. We're, we've got gifts and these gifts, you know, you're a teacher, right? And I think, dude, you got a, yeah. a gift of teaching. That's a beautiful service for the community. And think of the word community, like to commune, to commune, to come together. We're, we're, we're created to, to be together and to be in union with one another, to, to want to see ourselves flourish and grow accordingly, you know? So, Do you think, do you think our society is becoming increasingly disconnected from each other though? Mm-hmm. It's happening and it's always been happening. And that's because of brokenness and, for, and you know, just the, the, the sin and the error within our lives and the, the, the error that we've had to deal with throughout the generations and it gets passed on down the generations. And that ultimately is there to cause division and, and you know, and, and touching upon that question is that, yeah, it, it, it's definitely increasing, but the more we step into truth, the more we step into an understanding of our of our calling and, and our purposes and our identity, the more as we do that as a human race, then the greater we end up creating what's, you know, throughout the ages has been known heaven on earth, you know. We're all, we're all striving for that. That's why we all, even when we're skating, we're like, oh, man, that, that trick felt sick. Why did it feel so sick? Because you landed it, because you, you constructed it in such a way that it was whole. And, oh, dude, I'm like, my, my – I kind of was a bit sketchy on that, my, you know, my, I was toe-dragging. Well, why is that? Because we've all got a sense and an inclination to want to get to this position where we're content with what we've done. Sometimes people are, can can whip out a toe-drag or, you know, lay their hand down on the ground after a trick. And but, they're happy with it. And they're happy with it. And you know what? They can kind of make it look sick, you know, and that's yeah. that's right. Some people may do it because they're trying to mimic the one that makes it look sick and it doesn't look so sick because mm-hmm. they're just trying to basically – copy what someone's doing but do you know what i'm saying like some we're all geared to want to find this sense of perfection this sense of like completion we're all geared towards that um you think it's part of the human condition yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely it's 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 within us that way you know and and because there's a yeah we've got to battle through through pain as well there's there's the enemy there's the enemy of it you know (laughs) Going, going back to the heaven on earth thing, mm-hmm. I'll just tell you a quick story. One of my previous guests, uh, Jeffrey Olson, he's a New York Times bestseller, wrote an amazing book called Knowing. He had a, um out-of-body experience, so he had a horrendous car accident, which he was driving. Mm. I won't go into the details, but there was great loss in that accident. Yeah, right. Great loss. And he died and then uh, had this experience where, he rose above the vehicle and he could see what was going on and he's mm. in a ball of light. Mm. And the way he tells it's so profound. It's like you just can't not believe him. Mm. And then he's there with his wife who just des- was deceased in that accident oh, wow. yeah. and has this conversation. Mm. And he said that the biggest thing he learned, that he said it was more real than where we are right now, what we're mm. doing right now. Mm. He said this is the alternate universe. This is the truth. Like, and he, he just really meant it. Yeah. And he goes, but, you know, and I had to come back to raise my son. And he said, so, you know, I've come back to this world going, I, I am actually in heaven now, mm. you know, or, or hell, but it's our choice, you mm. know. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I can be either one of those. And that stuck with me. I was like, wow, because mm. this life is a trip. Tr- oh, yeah, big time. You know, and that story about, you know, your ex-girlfriend, 
Yeah. Just calling you because she felt something. I mean, Mm. would you know, because you're a a believer, you would say that that was God speaking through her, yeah? Yeah, I would say, I would say it's, See, God, I look at God and go, God is love, right? But what is love? Perfect love casts out fear. Love is, love in all its fullness is an unconditional, it's an unconditional love. It's love is to, you know, to lay your life down for your neighbor. Um, Now, love is, you know, rescuing. Love is, you know, saving someone when they're in danger. Love is a whole lot of different things. Love is emotional. Love is, you know, uh, feels good, et cetera. This act of what happened there was basically some kid who's about to end his life. I, as a heavenly father, or just a father, dude, you know what it's like for your kid, and I know what it's like for my kid. If I see, I will move the ends of the earth to make sure they will not perish, you know. If I see them in danger, I'm going to do anything to just basically rescue them. Here it is here that I'm crying out to this so-called heavenly father that I didn't really believe in. Remember, this was happening when I was just trying anything in life. I was studying a whole lot of different religions. I'm broken, dude. I was in a relationship with a with a stripper at the time, and I was, like, out partying with my friends, getting wasted, doing all that sort of stuff. I was not, like, doing this so-called God thing. But here I am going, oh, God, I need anything. Help me. I don't if you're there, do something. I'm crying out. Now, in comes this moving, the, moving like in comes this thing that happens, like I don't care who it is. I'm going Chico, California. I'm going to prompt something in this girl's heart in order to call this guy who's just crying out to, crying out to me. Boom, something happens. I end up not committing suicide. Dude, all the way from Chico, California, I get a phone call from a guy I haven't talked to in six months. That's a good thing. You know, I just see it as a good thing. It's a loving thing that happened to me. This thing that I can't see, that was this this act of kindness, this act of love, it's got to be accredited to something, <laughs> you know? Kind of like touching upon every design points to a designer. Every act of love points to a person of love, you know? So I... And then I every act, every act of love points to a person of love. Yeah, or 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 that's or, right. That's a rad quote, man. <laughs> and or 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 an entity of love. So love is something I tell my kids this all the time. It's like love is something you can't see. You can't buy it down the road. You can't buy a kilo of love, but you see the way it works through people. And this thing that happened to me was definitely an act of love. And I think. And then I read read the Bible and I go, wow, it says that plain and simple says god is love and i'm like oh wow so i just go and god is good and i just go that was a good thing and i subtract the letter o from the word good and it gets god so i'm like oh that's god that's, that, god. that's good you know <laughs> so you studied other religions mm. yeah so why was it christianity that spoke to you the most you think because was it just I look- the way it was laid out like the format of it? No, not at all. Because I wanted to go beyond what I'm reading. I wanted to go, okay, who are these people? Like, who are these people? Okay. Leo Tzu was a human being just like you and I. And he, he started writing and philosophizing. He shut himself off from society and he and he wrote the the Tao, the, the, the Tao Te Ching. He wrote that. Siddhartha was a man who was born into uh, into a pretty well-to-do home. And he started looking at the Brahmin and seeing how they were denying themselves in order to seek nirvana. He went on that journey as well. You know, Islam, Muhammad, all these guys, they're real 
people that went ahead and did something. Jesus was this person who was born. Now, there's one point of difference which caused all of it. You said, going back to the question and now answering it. All these human beings all come from a mother and a father. They all have their father's blood running through them, except there's a point of difference now with Christ, which makes Christ extremely different to all of them completely. He doesn't have a biological father. He came and was born of a virgin. People think, well, that's a rad fairy tale. That's all well and good. And it's like, whatever. Now, obviously, this is a miraculous thing. I do believe in miracles. I'm, 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 I'm the product of one in many ways. But I look at that and go, well, isn't it in today's society, technology does that, right? Like you can impregnate people without what's called IVF. Is that, is that what it's called? IVF. Yeah. yeah. People are being, there's no sexual intercourse going on. And that's technology is able to do that. I think, well, how much more God in order to intervene and show that it's already been done, divinely it's already been done. That's a story of this lady called Mary and then conceived is this this uh, this man called Christ who doesn't have the blood of the Father. He's got this pure, perfect blood, comes into the earth and is known even through history, even in the Quran he's even seen through history and through all documentation he's seen as a man who had no sin. Now think about that, dude. No sin? That's gnarly. Like that's the most gnarliest thing you could ever imagine. I cannot I, – I, I hear this rad quote from a rapper called Shaolin. He says, if, if you think meekness is weak, then try being meek for a week. It's like, <laughs> dude, it is so gnarly to think a life accredited to being blameless and sinless, that's the difference, dude. That's the major difference that I had to sort of humbly look at I had to humbly look at and go, okay, there's something about this Jesus dude that's obviously completely different. There's no relation whatsoever. All these guys come from biological mother and father. This Jesus guy comes in divinely. But then, dude, this is the thing, Shannon, that I tell people a lot is that I did have that what's called a born-again experience. I had it, dude, a nature change where I just no longer had beef with God and I just wanted to seek I, I had that experience and I'm still having it to this day every day. But wow, as, I can tell. As, as I started going through that, as I started going through that, that young age, like that experience that I had in my mid-20s, I didn't know what was actually happening. But what now I look at the, the testimony and the evidence of it all was me continuously seeking God, seeking my father, wanting to please him. That's what a son does to a father. This is something I've never known really in, 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 in this real world. But I've been going, man, I just want to do right by others. I want to love other people. I want to I want to point people to, to know their creator. I want to do that. Like that's the best thing. I'm experiencing this wonderful, unexplainable thing in my heart that I, you know, I've got my ups and downs, but I've got someone I can call out to and, and I've got this support that, it transcends this reality. It, like, it really does. I'm able to, you know, just no. I no longer have this this power over me that wants me to just while out in pornography. I no longer have this power in me that just wants me to while out with my friends and just get wasted and and just you know put my fingers up to all the all the system or humanity or whatever. I, I really want the best for humanity. There's something in me that wants this new spirit in me. Like I, it just started happening to me, dude. But th this is the interesting thing is that in the midst of that experience, I did not believe that Jesus existed, dude. In the midst of all that, I didn't believe. I had to go hard and realize. Jesus is like Jesus the prophet, the man. The man. I was like, 
what am I, what's going on in me? It was kind of like me saying, what's going on in me? I don't even know if this dude was a real dude. Maybe it's just some story. That's some rad story that I'm believing. Maybe I'm just being brainwashed. What the hell is going on? So I had to go hard of what I touched upon before, um, apologetics. Um, and I had to go in and, 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 um, and, and uh, go into a lot of uh, literature and, and basically investigating to, to figure out whether he really so, was a, who he was and so said what he to, said. You had to intellectualize it a little bit. Yeah, because and it's not like it's not like you've made some rash decision. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's been a journey of, of research and exploration. Oh yeah, it's interesting. I'm just listening to you and watching you, and I just I, I see the energy come out of you, and you're mesmerizing, and you're engaging, and. My friend and I were talking about it the other day when I did this podcast with this guy, Jeff Olson, who I found out after the podcast that he's Mormon. Oh, yeah, but right. He had this he had this powerful kindness mm. that you just – I look at him and I felt a real peace when I looked at him. And it was kind of like, you know, they say that word namaste, like the divine in me acknowledges the divine in you. Mm, mm. And I, th- and I it's, it's very common with devout – Christians, I see it. It's like this this X factor they have about them. Now, I don't personally align with the religious denom- denomination, but I do believe in a God of my own understanding. Yeah, and I pray, yeah. and I and I have my own methods that 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 I feel work for me right now on my journey. Yeah, yeah. But it's just really undeniable that, that this X factor that I see Christians, devout Christians, have. And I guess that S factor is God, right? Well, yeah. It's it's not so much God. I'd say like it is God. Like, but. Many people have an understanding of God. Sometimes that people believe that they they are God. Like I'm my own God. You hear that sometimes. Yeah, I'm my own God, or you know, or I don't, I believe in some other God or this God. But the way Christ rolled it all out, simply put, was like was when when he went, he said he's going to send the Helper. Think gotcha. about that. The Helper. Gotcha. Who's the Helper? He's well, the Helper as. As throughout history, that, that this X factor, it's what's known as His Spirit, or what you've everyone's heard, the Holy Spirit. Now, holy just means like saying it's kind of like saying a cut above the rest, like the best of the best spirit. There's so many different like spirits. People can be, you know, like there's so many different sort of like ways of being. But the Holy Spirit is known as the Helper, and 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 that that whole born again experience that people talk about or that that comes up throughout history is basically saying Jesus said you must be born again of spirit and water like and and to worship God is to worship him in spirit and truth not not oh you got to go to church every Sunday you got to do this you got to do that and if you don't do that it's kind of like you as a father saying to your son well son if you want to be in my good books you got to do 10 push-ups a day you got to make sure your maths homework's done by this time and if it's not done then you got no part with me see that's what people think having a relationship with a with this so-called god is about but it's not dude it's it's ultimately just saying wow god is so good that in my brokenness and in my sin and in my shame and all the things i've done wrong i'm i've got a creator that's willing to still take me back and, and forgive me and say it's all good. The prodigal son is a very famous story. The taken and the back. result, and the result is inner peace. And the result, yeah. and the result, and the promise is that he'll send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, mm. to come into your life and give you that born again thing, which is that experience of just having an, a, like? an, a nature What's change. Like? Well, it's a nature. What's that like? It's a, a nature What's change. A, What's a born again feeling like? Like, did you have to? Did you hit a rock bottom before that happened? Well, I was going through rock bottom from from from. It was a gradual thing to the point where I just would want to end my life. But even when I wanted to end my life, in that midst, 
and that even that phone call, even after that, life started getting worse, dude. I was going through major struggles because then I'm the nature change was happening. Because you say, what was it like? Okay, this is what it was like. I've got this nature change where I'm like, I can't deny this this thing where I no longer want to have beef with God. I no longer want to deny God. I know I no longer want to say I don't believe in God. I used to say that. I used to question. People would talk to me. Yeah, I, I grew up in the city, so I'd have evangelists handing out gospel tracts. You see preachers, they look like the kooks on the streets. I'm there going, this, whatever, dude. Like, I, do, I wouldn't think much of that. You know, I'd be like, these guys are the, the whack jobs of the city, you know. And and I'd, so I had no time for that. And sometimes I'd, I, I'd just look at it and go, yeah, some of us are a little, little jaded or whatever. But, hey, aren't we all in many ways? But anyhow, I, you say, what was, what's it like? What was it like? It was like a gradual thing. And even now, Basically, what it is, I no longer have qualms or beef with God, where it's like, okay, let's look at God's commandments. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not cheat. Do not commit adultery. You know, do not cover your neighbors. Well, the Ten Commandments, basically. Good values. Yeah. Good values. Ten Commandments, right? I. It's not like I'm trying to live a life every day where it's like, must not lie, must not steal, must not cheat. It's not like by my own works. I've got to – I now am like, wow, this – spirit in me is like i want to uphold that if am i drawn towards looking at a chick that's naked of course i am i'm i'm drawn to it but am i going to delve into it i'm going to be like no there's something wrong there like it's going to jeopardize my 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 wonderful god-given relationship here my children I'm, i'm failing them in some way you know oh i'm running low on funds or whatever i've got to make more money for the family oh hold on there's probably a way I can kind of swindle something to happen. Am I geared to sort of go a bit shifty? Back in the day I was, and I was, and am I tempted? Yes, I'm tempted, but my nature has changed where if I even delve within that, it just doesn't sit right with me. It's like this. You say what it's like. It's like you put a lion. Let's get a lion, right, and put him in a room. There's a slab of meat and a garden salad. Let the lion let the lion starve for a little while, let him loose, he's going to go straight to the meat. It's in his nature to do that, mm. right? Yeah, it is. It's in his nature to do that. You get a, chi- you get a child, you start raising them up. Do we, do we teach our children to lie, to be cheeky and try and get away with things? They just do it innately, dude. I, I've seen my child defend themselves and bring up lies or hit the other kid and just, I even saw my little daughter say she wanted to inflict pain on her bigger sister and she enjoyed it. <laughs> like, I'm there going, what the hell is that? But, like, it's a survival mechanism. Totally. She's trying to work her place in the pecking order. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's in, our, it's in our nature to want to defend ourselves and to lie or to do something wrong or be somehow, like, getting away. It's in our nature to do that. Just like you look at the – and let's – and if you think about it, lying, for example, a kid that lies, well, I'm not teaching it to lie. Rather, I'm teaching a child to try and be good, the word good again. I'm trying to be – I'm trying to teach this child to be godlike. That's good. You've you kind know? of ruined good. You've ruined the word for me now. Too, but the, I'll be like, good God, good God. Yeah, but I, I, but, so. but there's such a huge plethora of, of, of stuff to be found within that. It's an eternal thing of goodness to, to just explore in that, which is lovely. But what I'm getting at is that you end up looking at the word – sorry, you end up looking at that lion, and the nature is to just go straight to the meat. The only way I can get that lion 
to eat that salad is if I was to somehow miraculously get into that lion and change its nature. Now, what would happen if I could do that and I did that and I let the lion loose after being hungry in the same room, meat and and the garden salad? That lion, I've only changed its nature. I haven't changed its memories, dude. I haven't changed its I memories. That, I love this analogy. Dude, the lion is going to go straight to the meat because that's what it's used to doing. It's just born that way, man. It's just yeah, what he know, does. Yeah. He's going to start delving in and be like, oh, hold on, there's something up with this. So it doesn't, but are you, are it you doesn't, saying that then God is the one that can change that thinking towards this, the nutritious salad? The nature change. That's, that's being born again. That's why Jesus, ah. you get it? Yeah, so Jesus came to save uh, sorry, to basically destroy sin, the power of sin, the power of yeah. sin. Not to eradicate sin, it's no longer gone, and hey, there's no more wars in the world. No, the power of sin in mankind, in the person. It's an individual thing. It's not like this hocus pocus, there's no more work. He's not a, he's not a genie. God, he's a saver of your soul. He's, a, he's, he's the one that you cry out to, and he's able to basically eradicate sin from your life and you now have a new nature change where, yeah, you'll keep on being attracted to the things that you're attracted to, just like that lion being attracted to the meat. But you no longer have, you no longer want to, going to want to savor that thing and just delve into it and be like, oh, this is good. That's what I was like. Personally, I know that's what I was like within my own sins. I know that I just revel in it and be like, and then afterwards you feel like, oh, I kind of wasn't, yeah, you feel a bit weird about it and you just, get on with life <laughs> but you keep delving in whereas now the nature changes happen where i still get tempted but i realize and i get stronger over the years where it's like no nah, i actually prefer the salad you know i actually prefer this good life where i'm like i want to i want to like uphold righteousness and truth i want to i want to look towards the gnarliest dude to ever live which is christ i want to look towards my wife and be like my wife being like the raddest chick ever that gets all my emotion and all my, you know, sexual attraction. My kids, I want to spend time with them and, and raise them up to be pillars of the community or whatever, you know, like that's yeah. that's a nature change. And, dude, you look at my history, I did not have that upbringing. So it's a complete reversal of life in many ways. So I didn't realize how gnarly your background was. I, I mean, from the outside looking in, I kind of got the vibe that you were from a good family and you had a good upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I think know, a lot of uh, no one yeah. no one realizes the work that you've done to get to this stage. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have sort of thought that about me because you create airs about yourself in some ways, but because you don't want to expose all the all the pain and the hurt. Yeah, as as men as well as people, we want to always show the good side of things. But nowadays, I, I like I don't shy away from it. Either. I don't deny. It. I, I I I I talk about it in the hope to want to reach others to sort of get them to be able to go, oh, wow, you know, there's like there's a story of hope there, there's a story of transformation, there's a story of, of faith or there's a story of overcoming, um, which is why I'm, I'm quite transparent about about these things. When, I'm, when, I, when we're in these sort of situations, like. You're not, you're not, you're not afraid of ridicule or judgment? No, like I, I'm not exactly, no, because I, I've copped it a fair bit in many ways, especially when I. When I was telling people that I'm a Christian, I did an interview for ASM and I told, I basically was telling people about God and this and that. And I, I copped heaps, man. I, I had friends that just befriended me that didn't want to, so didn't want to be, you know, 
that didn't want to be my friend anymore. They're just calling me out, being a kook or whatever, because now the Jesus do this and that. And I was like, okay, well, I guess they weren't, they just don't get it. That's fine. I'm still going to be down for them. I still think they're right. Well, they're not your, they're not your people. Yeah, not exactly. That simple. Not exactly, but not but people. I definitely, if they're in danger, I'd do my best to want to get them out, dude. Which is why I'm telling them about God, you know. So, and then I'd, I'd have, you know, even in the in the art world, I've had heaps of ridicule in that as well because I've I've been misunderstood in many ways and 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 copped it. And you know, those things hurt. You know, people's opinions matter because we we put ourselves out there in one, one way, form, or another. But I think the difference is. How are you letting those opinions affect you? Are you are you, are you basing yes, are, are you are you allowing are, are you basing your identity of people's opinions and what they think of you, or are you strong in your identity and resilient in order to be able to utilize that and sort of keep propelling forward? And it's that courage to be disliked. Is I mean, these are the traits of successful people. These are the traits of change makers and leaders. Mm. So that's what you are. How did you meet your wife? I met her uh, 15 years ago uh, through a mutual friend. She was she's from London. She was coming to the country. She um, and my friend, my closest one of my closest friends, said, "Hey, Sid, got a really lovely girl, a good friend of ours. She's come from London. She's uh, house sitting my house while while he goes to London. He goes. She's actually after someone that can take her to church. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, all right." No worries. I met her that way, but then after that, it wasn't for like. And this is when we were living in Bondi. After about a year, I started really engaging with her a lot more, and we started getting to each other's worlds. We're all mutual friends and stuff. Rad story about my wife. Talk about nature change, right? You know, the changing the lion from the salad to the meat. I didn't. I'll just throw this out there, and you and you'll know what I mean. I didn't. I I courted my my wife for a year. And then I proposed to her. And from the day we courted, I told her I'm not going to kiss her unless we get married. Think about that. Bullshit. No. So wait a second. A year. So you didn't you you didn't kiss her to your wedding day? No. Now. So you did the whole no, and I'm like, okay. So the no sex before <laughs> marriage thing. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> now, is it because the Bible says so? Sid? No, yeah. it doesn't say that. But it does say that. We, we it does, okay. It does say that fornication is is sin. But this is the thing. Is like, were you scared of judgment from your community then? Oh, dude. I, I, you, I, that's the thing. I couldn't. I don't live for. I don't live for. Um, for, for my reputation. I don't live for my Christian community. I don't live for my, the culture. I don't live for those things. I live, well, let's go on back to that word, I live for 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 God, for good, but for, good. For, for truly going into that journey of what understanding good is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an evolving journey of what good is, you know. Um, the Bible actually says eternal life is to know God and the one he sent. Eternal life is to know good and the one he sent, the greatest uh, testimony of good, which is Christ. But anyway, so by knowing anime, I told her just straight up, I said, because I was, I was really wanting to get this thing right. And I understood by this time that marriage has to be a thing that is, it's, you've got to be serious about it. You know what I'm saying? You've got to, it's, marriage is not, coming from my life where I was very much about womanizing, having a woman here, having a woman there. Dude, I was taught as a kid. The way to go about a relationship is 
this is how I was taught. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the talk. I can't wait to hear this. Okay, so if you want to have a good wife, you got to have a woman here, a woman in this town, a woman in this town, and then you can choose. That's a smart thing to do. That's what I was taught. I was, I had circumstances, dude, where I'd go down to Seven Eleven and open up a porno and be like, "Hey, Dad, this is my new girlfriend. What do you reckon?" Ah, oh, that's pretty good, son. That's the sort of that's the sort of upbringing well, to I had. impress him. To impress, to him. impress him, and he was like, "Dude, she's pretty rad." That's the sort of like understanding of relationships that I was brought up in, and because it was the case, I had a girl that was in mags and this and that, and she's taken it all off, and uh, so to come out of that and then come into this understanding of God and 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 loving and honoring your wife your your, your wife to be honoring marriage honoring fatherhood all these things i had to i i now had a new spirit that born again thing to want to learn and absorb that because wow i'm born again i've got another lease on life this is so rad i'm stoked this is so cool and i've got a heart to want to take it in not because it's a duty or a or a religion or whatever no dude so then yeah dude i told her that day that we told each other we liked each other i just said hey i said anime just so you know i've committed in my life that i've got to talk to your dad first if i'm allowed to court you and if he if he gives me your blessing then we're going to hang out and get to know each other and and I'm going to get to know you as a person. I'm not going to get to know she you. She was on board. Yeah. Oh, she, I said to her, I'm not going to get to know you as your sex because I'm not going to spend the rest of my life having sex with you. I'm going to get I, – I might, I might spend the rest of my life getting to know you and, and talking and, and hanging with you and doing life. So as a foundation, I'm sort of sticking to want to just get to know you for – and if I and if we get drawn towards marriage, the day the pastor says you may now kiss your bride, that's when I want to kiss you for the first time. And we 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 did it. And dude, it was tempting. It was crazy tempting. You know, a hug, dude. A hug felt like I was doing something wrong with her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd, I'd be hugging and stuff. I was going, oh my gosh, this is too much, dude. <laughs> Basically, just did the opposite to what you had been doing, which hadn't been working. Yeah. So admirable. Mm. I really believe, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, and I always speak from my own experiences indirectly, but I really feel that many people underestimate that connection they make with someone when in an act of sex. Mm. And I think it's really driven a lot of misery for people. Yeah, man. I mean, yourself, yourself included. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you said that you, when you're in that suicidal place, it was on the back of you know rejection in a relationship. Yeah. And I, I think it's so much deeper than people realise. Mm. It is. I might cop ridicule for this, but it's because you're you're making a soul connection with each and every one. It, well, you are. And every time, every time that's severed. Yeah. You're left in this really em- empty, painful place that you have to almost detox from. You are. And, and, like, and it's, like it's a drug. Yep, you're right, dude. And, and it's it's nothing to be – and if someone were to ridicule you, it's simply because they're wanting to stay within their own understanding of it. Now, if you break away yeah. from your understanding of it, what you're saying hits hits the mark in many ways because what you're doing during the act of sex is you are – why do we get naked? Okay, we're going to have sex. Okay, let me put my finest tux on. No, dude, I'm going to – take off my clothes and show you what I've known since I was a child as my finest tux, my naked body. Wow. You are so vulnerable 
and you're opening yourself up to someone else to explore the most precious thing you've known since you came into this world. It is so precious, dude. It is so precious. And when you come in and it's not under a form of like honor or it's just out of, out of, out of just self-gratification or just emotional lust or unfortunately mm-hmm. in this wicked world we could kind of live in rape. All this stuff, dude, it's a, it's a form of like this vulnerability that just gets smashed. And as people we get mixed up thinking, well, the emotions, it feels good, this and that, and we keep doing it over and we go through this cycle. And I went through that vicious cycle over and over thinking somehow that void is going to be filled that – and we know it doesn't. We everything, especially the vulnerability of sex and the vulnerability of opening up your 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 your, your life to someone and the physical side of life that you've known since you were born to another person, that needs to be so guarded and protected, which is why marriage was put into place. God is a good God and he puts the, 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 that into place so it could be honored because he God is a God of love who doesn't want brokenheartedness. So there's things put into place in this world to guard brokenness, to guard pain and tears. And that's something that I guess I logically understood and I believed and therefore I, I, I made steps to do that with my current wife of now 14 years. And to this day, dude, I cannot believe that I'm still attracted to the same girl. I used to get bored of a girl after a couple of weeks or months and then be like, I'm over. I need to find something else. And I, I, it, it does honestly just blow me away. And it's because I guard my heart. I don't, I don't go looking at other chicks or I don't revel in all that sort of stuff, trying to like feed my lust or temptations. I've I, I got to still guard it. You know, it's, it's a work. It's a process as well. Oof, Sid, far <laughs> out, man. I basically just threw out threw out all the questions I had for you. All good, man. All good. I know we could talk for so long. I don't mind. I'm not in a rush, dude. Right? It's magic. I'm not in a rush. I don't set a time limit. Cool. I guess um, maybe take things on a different sort of trajectory. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that want to know about your skateboarding. Yeah. Face it. Yeah. You know, and my recollection of you <laughs> is a skateboarder. I always admired, not so much for. You know, I, I know you weren't throwing yourself down huge handrails and, and gaps and steps, but you know, I mean, you just had so much steez, like and style, you know. And I think you really honed in on that, you know, playing those cards that you, it were dealt, as you say. And can you just sort of give us your, you know, memories and recollection of that time skating, like growing up skating in the city at places like you know Martin Place, Cannonball, etc you know, day in, day out. How do you reflect on that time in your life? Um, those, though, I reflect on it, like off the bat, I reflect on it in epic they were epic moments and times because we, we had them on a daily and, you know, they'd be all day and way out to the morning at times. And, um, that, yeah, it was just a matter of just being in this big playground called the city and, and just – seeing who rocks up to the playground and and um and skating and playing and getting amongst that whole environment and enjoying you know the uh the agility of your youth and and making rad things happen and documenting it as well and it's just it, yeah. and 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 being around laughter and friends and ups and downs and bantering and just you know progression yeah, progression like as well. Like the excitement of learning new tricks and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, it, you know, it would get really clicky and all this sort of stuff. And 
it's like, oh, okay, what, what, it's sort of like you're just trying to just figure, figure it out and stay, stay amongst it all. And it, it, yeah, like it's being with, um, being with my friends, skate, like that was the city scene. Whereas before that, I was very much in the scene of like Rockdale, Hurstville. I heard you mention Kent Field in your in Darren's podcast. That used to be my local. <laughs> Kent, F- Where? Kent Field in uh, Alloa, Alloa Bowl. Oh, yeah, Alloa Bowl. Yeah, yeah, that was my local there. Is that your local? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you grew up in Rockdale, so it wouldn't have been far. Dude, there. we used to skate. I, well, I used to skate all the way to Alloa just to go skate um, Kent Field. So I used to, I grew up, you know, seeing seeing all the boys there, like Glenn Robinson and all the guys down at Skateboard World were guys that I really looked up to and was fascinated by. I wouldn't talk to them that much, but I was just like, oh, these guys are the gnarly dudes here. A lot of the, Cron- Olds Park. A lot of the Nulla boys Olds would come. Park. Olds Park as well, that rubber ramp with a big fat coping, all that. Yeah, it was, that was all that local sort of era. And yeah, we, uh, I, I, I met a lot of guys there that I ended up, continuing to skate with um throughout the later years as well when did you get your first sponsor i was what, what company was it that was through um it was neighborhood um from la uh tracker a1 meets and etnies and that was through uh q day dist- wow. distribution when i went up to queensland uh, Mick, Mick Ewan had just gotten sponsored by Chapter Seven through Mike McGill, and um, <clears throat> Mike McGill had seen him at seen seen him at a demo, and Mick just did a switch front three sixty ollie on flat, um, which is back then you're like we're talking ninety maybe ninety four ninety three maybe I don't know yeah. uh, switch front three sixty ollie on on flat like that wasn't done, and he did one in front of McGill, and McGill spun out and was like, dude, what's who are you and Basically said we got to hook this guy up. So he got sponsored and this and that. And he he came back to um, he came back he because he lived in Rockdale, Brighton, Sands as well. And I remember him talking how he got sponsored and stuff. And I was like, man, that's awesome. He got sponsored. This is so good. But in my head, I'm going, I'm just skating where I'm skating. I got to go buy my boards, you know. I've, you know, Nathan at surf driving ski in the out of the bin bucket, the the cheap boards. I used to shave them down with a file to a seven point five and snap them that day. Did you shave them down? Yeah, because all the, all the cheap boards were wider, and I wanted to shave them down. But the moment you shave a board down, you, you're shaving down all the concave. So now you've just got this flat piece of wood that just kicks up on both ends. And they're snapping. I remember I'd be there for hours shaving them to the shape I wanted, and then I'd take a big trip. I remember taking a big trip out to Curl Park and learning switch tray flips on the mini bank. And I just got there and I was learning switch trays and then snapping it on like the third try. I'm like, I just got, I just went from rock down to <laughs> And then I'm going to walk back to go save some money to try and get another. Yeah. And then anyhow, um, Mick Tommy was once and inspired me to just go, dude, I think I've got to go do it too, man. I'm skating. I knew I was skating really well. I was confident about my my ability to skate, so I said I'm going to go to Pizzy. On I think I had a hundred bucks. Like, I'm going to get a bus, go to Pizzy. I'll live off uh, Maggie noodles, and I'll get the cheapest wow. cheapest hotel I can find. And I'll rock wow. up. I'll rock up to Pizzy, and I'll skate. And I know that if people see me skate, I'll create some sort of like stir. <laughs> so then the next I skated at Pizzy, and then the next day. Word got around and uh, Jamie. But Who'd you run into? Chad Barty? Yeah, well, they all rocked up because they, they'd heard about this dude from Sydney that had come up. 
<laughs> so I, I was confident in that because I, and it happened and it was like Jamie Barty rocked up, Chad Barty, Al Boglio, Christian West, Dion Kovac. I think Seb still was there, maybe Marty as well. So all these boys rocked up and they were sort of just like, you know, there wanting to check out my skating and stuff. And then Jamie Jamie walked up, came up to me, and then all the other boys were sort of behind Jamie. And Jamie's like, oh, hey, um, dude, you skate really rad, man. How, how would you feel? Are you, does anyone hook you up? I was like, no. Nah. He's like, oh, how do you feel about, you know, like coming down to our factory? I run all these brands, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we could look at sorting so you, you out. And, um, you achieved the objective. Yeah, yeah. And that was like the second It was like the second day. And I was like, dude, this is sick. And I was like, he hooked me up with like – neighborhood boards which i was so down for because coming from because i'm latino as well and neighborhood i just thought it was the sickest brand and um and then because you yeah yeah, and then like basically the next day i've i've gotten there and i've got all my skateboarding stuff sorted out and i was like dead it happened i was so thankful yeah so I guess it's safe for me to say that you developed some pretty deep connections with some some of those people you mentioned. You know, you know I'm thinking about like Al Boglio, yeah, Dion Kovac, and I know you're very close with Davo and Steve Tierney. And can, tell us about the the board brand you guys brought out as a crew uh, class, or was it CLS? CLS, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, I'll quickly just answer the question you said before. Was like, when did I get sponsored? That was around 20. I was around 20 years old. That when, when that, so it would have been 90, what are we talking here, early 90s? 90? Yeah, I'm, I'm 49 now, birthday's in September, so mm. I'm 50 this okay. fifty this year, so yeah, I don't know what that are would be. You? Yeah, yeah. Dude, you look well. <laughs> Thanks, dude. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I do because it's, it's happening. <laughs> and skating, and, and still skating regularly? Well, I, 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 I've taken age? the biggest break off skating that I've had in a long time. I think the last session I had when I got to Brisbane was, um, I think the last good session I had was about eight months ago because my knees are extremely bad. So I have to get on a different program yeah. now. I'm, I'm, I'm about to get on a whole new program to build my muscles up to compensate for my okay. crazy knees. But, yeah, CLS as a company class was um, birthed out of uh, Mick Ewan, uh, myself, Phil Mackey, uh, Michael Davidson or Davo and Steve Tierney where basically like, to this day, we still have our own little chat group and everything. We're just like five bodies that just were drawn Connected. together. Um, and we all had something in common, obviously. We all come from, you know, like the Sydney area, but we just gelled together and we, we were wanting to progress the same way. We were all sort of a, we were all attracted to the same type of skating as well. You know, like yeah. it was the type of skating that we were looking to, like when we looked at things in the States or this type of aesthetic we're looking to or drawn towards the same sort of thing, which I guess helped us stay together too. Um, and yeah, so we just kept, yeah, we were coming up together. We were getting sponsored around the same time. We were getting the coverage at the same time, getting the opportunities. They were all very familiar things and similar things that were, that were happening. So we just mm. always gelled together so we we ended up leaving our current sponsors i was sponsored by time skateboards at the time um i was gonna ask you about that yeah and then all the other boys had their own sponsors going on and we and we're like let's steve steve was doing some graphic designing and he was like i'm gonna start i formed this logo for for class and um and it's it's cls and let's uh start a board company and 
We're like, right. That's right. So we just we just left what we were doing, and because we were just so close, we we're like, yeah. Even though they were prototypes that Steve was bringing out, we we're like, yeah, let's just do it. We're, this is what we do now. <laughs> right. Mm. Time skateboards made such an impact on the Sydney skate scene. They sort of hit the scene hard too. Mm. Tell us about that. Tell us about that era because, I mean, they just blew up and you were part of that. Yeah, it was um, – a lot of it was birthed out of the boys from Queensland where um, – so you got Christian West and Al Boglio who really started bringing it out and you had guys like Nick Caram and uh, Seb Steele and Clint Bond and, and later on like all these guys were just coming out just, you know, just boys growing down and in time there was Greg Stewart, Ben Harris, uh, Ryan Denneray and and that like to me I, I, it was kind of weird because all those guys from Queensland that I met on that one first trip to Pizzy Park, they were already the scene of skateboarding like within all the little zines that were coming out of Queensland. They were already known in the scene like oh, the, Melbourne had like its snake pit days, this and that. So I was from Sydney and I was just coming into understanding oh these guys are already kind of getting established in their scene so I was just like kind of like this newcomer to understanding all this so I didn't know about if there was a rivalry between this shop or this mag and this that because very clicky back then I was just like you guys are sick you guys are rad let's you're from Melbourne you're from Queensland you guys are rad I I reckon you know I want to be mates with you guys you're just sick but I but through the years I found out there was little things going on here and there little thing and I was like whatever with all that and time was coming up in such a way it was like, dude, these guys are really sticking out in regards to the production of their videos and and um, and the 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 look to their brand. I'm like, this is sick. And then for Christian and Al to approach me to skate for him, I was like, well, yeah, it's like a no-brainer, you know, because it was they're really kicking goals and and it's and when you get approached by someone that's kicking goals to want to play on your team you're like fuck yeah for sure you know and i was like yeah let's do it so that led to yeah having um i think i had i think i only had two pro models on one time and uh, and then that was yeah it was was a quick a quick moment it was kind of like 90 96 i think around 97 96 98 around all that time and then um and to be in the videos and to be alongside andrew curry who's always been one of my favorite skateboarders and Same. and he is pretty much one of the greatest all-around skateboarders alive and um I agree. and um <clears throat> and to be amongst that so when yeah and because i had because i had history with him with grace skateboards it was just yeah i've always looked up to these boys and just been like all of them and just been like i can see what makes them so rad and awesome and i'm just there being fans of them all you know i've always just been fans of whether it was, you know, Clint, Seb, Al, Kaza, whatever. I was just like, you guys are sick. And I'm in that mix. Thanks, guys. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. In that era when things were really popping off, I know you were sponsored by Globe Shoes as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was sponsored by Globe. I mean, were, you, were you sustaining a livable income from skateboarding at any stage? I had to. <laughs> <laughs> so you were. It was because that's all I was doing. Wow. I, like, so but it was, but it was hard because I was just skating, and then if I did work, it would be part time. But I made sure that what I was working was somehow affiliated to skateboarding. But it was part of the contract for me to work at Surf Dive and Ski because Surf Dive and Ski were my sponsor, and I needed more money because skateboarding doesn't, you know, always pay the bills. 
but especially in the nineties. But that's all I was just committed to. So so my sponsor then offered me a contract that says, look, we'll pay you a, retain, a retainer like each month, but part of the contract is that you work on these, you know, on on weekends or at least I think it was like at least two or three days a week or something like that. You work at in the at, in the shop. at the skate counter. And I'm like, well, I guess that's getting me money and I get an allowance of free stuff and I get paid on the side as a skateboarder. Yeah, I'm like, makes sense. sweet, and then I can just sell product when I get product and we, I just live like that throughout all my skating years. So that was, How long? That, How many that was a professional career. <laughs> um, In Australia? Yeah. So I, I was – I'd consider my, from the time I got sponsored, 21, till I ended up letting go of a lot of my sponsors at 35 because I was sponsored by like – a lot of different brands like ADO Shoes, DC Shoes, um, wow. Circa, um, uh, iPath. And I made sure that each. You were sponsored by iPath? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that like organic brand. Oh, what's yeah. his name again? Matt Field. He made, like he was vegan. Matt Field. Matt Field, yeah, He's yeah. Vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like ve- the first sort of vegan footwear, I think, from memory. Yeah, Matt Field is very much into in, into all that, his yoga and all that sort of thing. And, um, that they had this one shoe that I was just a massive fan on, fan of, which was simply because it resembled probably more the, the Nike Dunk with the strap on the top, but it was all black and had this. It was like a, a mid cut. I've always loved mid cuts to high tops, and it had like a strap. I just thought it was a sick shoe, and I, I thought I was I, I really like Quim Cardona's skating and uh, Ellie Reed. I thought they had some sick sort of styles and stuff. And Matt Field had this loosey goosey sort of style as well. I thought it looked pretty sick. And I could see that they sort of fit within this sort of pocket that was coming out of like the East Coast as well, um, and um, and and it was a brand that was very much down with the East Coast. And I just thought, yeah, it's a good kind of a good fit. And I was I was down for it. And I was you know searching through life in many ways at that time too. So it was. It, you never felt the pull to to move to the states and make it. Oh yeah, there. Did you, did you try that dream out? I can't remember. I, I did. I did. I was. Um, because, but that that was a thing. Like I had the opportunity and everything. Globe at that time paid for me to go over, and they put me on the um, on their amateur list. So that was like a big deal for me. I was like, well, um, there's the pros, like all your big name pros, and I'm in the name of like all the amateurs. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. And Amazing. Gary Gary V said uh, he'll put me on the program to stay in the country and get Gary Valentine, yeah, and get my my visa and get my visa sorted so I can stay there and, and live a professional life in the states. And I was like, wow, that's that's awesome. You know, my, uh, Phil Mackey was doing it at the time, and and um, he was he was uh, amateur for real, and and he was on on the list with Globe like myself, and so was Davo. So I was going in that direction, but the problem and the reason it didn't work was because that was also around my mid twenties, and I just you know yeah. I told you what was going on in my mid twenties. I was a broken vessel, dude. I confidence levels were, were shattered i was just like very insecure and not knowing who i am just scared of life going what am i doing broken in here as much as i can skate and do all this sort of stuff that's all well and good but if if i'm an absolute mess in here which i was at that age i was like i, I gotta get i gotta i went through so much stuff in the states it was gnarly i was i had a girl that i was saying that would come and visit me and all the way from Australia, she'd come and visit me and I was trying to break up with her and I'm going through these suicidal tendencies and at the same time I've got a major sponsor that's paid for everything while I'm out there and I'm just like, 
just so broken. I was like, my life had to be sorted out, you know. So, yeah, I, I went down that route and then I, I just, I was like, you know what, if I get to make it in the States, people think you got to be in the States. But I always had this thing of like, you know, like I don't have to, if I'm going to make it anywhere, I could do it from, I believe, where I am, which is funnily enough, born and raised in Sydney, I came to Brisbane a year ago and people were like, why Brisbane, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I love a challenge. I love stepping back and going, you know what? There's more space here. I have the opportunity to buy or build a home. I'm, you know, I, I know yeah. Sydney so well. I got over the saturation of it all. And I'm like, yeah, let's just try something completely fresh and new. And your wife was obviously on board. Yeah, man. She's she's so rad. She's London and she's a London city girl. She was she was born and raised in the city of London. She's got, you know, she's got her degree in fashion and now certificate in real estate. And she's looking at sussing things out and transitioning right now with what she wants to do. She's an artist and as well. And I just think, wow. you know, she's she's so rad and supportive in that sense of just going. You know what? We trust we trust God. We're 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 good stewards of what we try and be. Good stewards of what we've got. Yeah. We'll be all right. Let's just go out and explore this new chapter, you know, and have an adventure that way. But so her faith was already like well established before you got together? No, no, not not no. No, she she was kind of she she comes from a Christian upbringing. So she's kind of been taught all this stuff all her life, but she broke away and did her own thing in life she sort of wanted to get but she always was drawn back to just knowing where the good side of life is through her parents and the and the great example that they gave him so when we met she was off doing her own thing like in many ways but she kind of wanted to you know hang around some christians or whatever and they'll go to church a little bit and but she wasn't that she wasn't like you know a str- like to, i don't really always it's, she wasn't like a strong Christian, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like that. Whereas when, so when she's met me, she's like, oh, Sid's like this dude that's very much about, you know, this God thing and wanting to live righteously and stuff. I, by this time, I was very much, yeah, I'm sold. You know, by this time, I'm, the, I'm there, I'm all for it. So she's met me and gone, wow, he's, he's like, he's got it together. She was, she was down and she was down for the no kissing before marriage. Yeah, she, like, she was. I, I ask that as yeah. sort of being a little bit funny, but I also ask it because, like, you know, like women have needs too. Fully, you know, fully. And, and so, like, it would have been a struggle for her. Yeah, definitely. Then that's where I, t- I. That's what I said to her. Look, I go. I'm willing to do this, not because of. I, I really don't like it when people get the impression that oh, if you if you're a Christian, then you can't have sex before. It's not, it's, dude. Like church, all that sort of stuff. It's about broken people. The reason people go to church is because they're broken. They want wholeness. They want like it's just like going to a gym. You don't go to a gym and everyone in the gym is like fit and toned. And dude, you get people that are so overweight and just like you know, people go, oh, people go to church like, oh, I don't like this church. It's hypocritical. There's like there's so many hypocrites there. Yeah. It's just like going to a gym and going. Yeah. Are you going to call? Are you going to call the overweight person a hypocrite for being at the gym? No, man. They're trying to get their life sorted out, dude. You know. I'm, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard people say, "Oh, churches are just full of like head cases and stuff." And it's like well, it is. Yeah, like they're probably ex- they're exactly where they need to be. Exactly, dude. And I know yeah, right. in my broken, <laughs> I, I know in my brokenness, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be some prideful dude that says, "Ah, oh, no, I don't need that stuff. I've got it all together." 
I've got it all together. Believe in yourself. You know, the world says, believe in yourself. You can do anything. It's like, dude, if I believed in myself, I'd be dead by now. You know, like I need guidance. I need, we all do. We all come from a sense of brokenness. But anyway, in saying that. So that's the surrender. That's the surrender then that true Christians talk about. Yeah. You're in a surrendered state. Yeah, because you realize true greatness. And you realize you can't do this alone. You tried, didn't work. Oh yeah, is that what it comes to? Totally. totally. Sorry, to, sorry to go. Yeah, back no, on that, totally, no, that no, tangent. no. Yeah, that, that's 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 yeah. it. You've you've come to the realization. You've seen the good news. That's why it's called good news. The bad. Put it this way: the, the Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, like a wage, a pay packet, a reward. The wages of sin is death. But there's a but there. Here comes the good news. But the free gift, free, it's free, dude, but the free gift of God, yeah, dude. but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. He's just setting it straight. I've heard Christians, He's just, I've heard Christians say that a lot, like eternal life, eternal life. Yeah. So you're, now, you're referring to the fact that when, you, when your physical vessel dies, yeah. You are, you are, your spirit will live on in another place. Yeah, and and why? Well, where's the evidence for that? That's a whole lot of crap, dude. There's evidence everywhere, dude. I, this is the other thing that boggles my mind as well. That the evidence for eternity is everywhere. Okay, what's the symbol for eternity? What's a, a basic symbol for it? There's there's a, there's a symbol I've seen it. It's like the the, the figure eight, right? The figure eight, yeah. yeah. Or a circle, right? A circle. No, yeah. no beginning, no end. Have you ever looked at everything in this world and go, wow, everything is let, – let's look at this, for example. Okay, this is a phone cover. Where's the end of the phone cover? People say, oh, it's just there. But no, it's not. It goes here and then it comes back around to the beginning, just like this way. It's a full circle just squished out into another shape. Everything, dude, this is not the end of my hand. It just comes back around. Full circle. It's a symbol for every – like even the Bible says, like creation – points to the creator like you look at you look at the world and it and it points to the fact that there is something else out there that the people like to say well you know christians refer to it as god etc but what i'm saying is eternity is so evident if i if this came from the figment of someone's imagination imagination is something now if i burnt this thing and completely burnt it it's going to turn into something that you can't see and go out into the atmosphere it turns into something else there's evidence for eternity and, and things continuing everywhere. Like when you just look at it logically, I'm just speaking about logically. The evidence is there. So when you say, do you believe in the fact that when you die that, yes, I'm to, this spirit in me that's animating this fleshly body is a spirit in me. But when you're dead, it's gone. The life is, is just, just gone. But it's obviously gone to something. There's evidence around us everywhere. Like, Evidence demands a verdict, okay? Like evidence demands a verdict. Is it? Evidence demands a verdict. Yeah. Evidence demands a verdict. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called Evidence Demands a Verdict, actually, which touches upon the apologetics of Christ and all that sort of stuff. And But it's true. Evidence demands a verdict. So when you look at the fact that the evidence for, for life is that I'm animated somehow in this fleshly body, and then when it, when it, when it zaps out, I'm, I'm pronounced dead. The Bible does say, you know, like, to, 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 to basically, it's paraphrasing, but to basically depart from this, this earth is to be, to be present with the Lord. Like now, either, 
and then you know after after death comes what everyone sort of creeps in their conscience is like this sense of judgment like it's like whoa okay deeds something's going to happen we're about to we're about to enter into this new realm death is is a, a great awakening if you think about it it really causes you to wake up to like the reality of life and go we're all we're all going to face it now what next you know people yeah. try and deny it Mm. Mm. I, I learn a lot of I learn a lot of funerals. Unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, it's a circle of life. But funerals over the years have become. You know, we all have to go to. You go to numerous funerals in your life. Yeah, and there now, when I sit in those funerals, I'm I'm actually analysing them much more deeply than I ever ever did. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah, man, and, um, and because it's just teach. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, I was so, going to say it's a wonderful thing. Like it's it's a sad it it's a sad thing. But if we – it's all faith, really, if you think about it too. It's faith as well. Like faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, faith is – it's an unseen realm, but you hope – you know, it's, it's – faith is the substance of things hoped for, what you're hoping for. Yeah. It's the evidence of what you can't see, like skating. Oh, no, yeah. I believe I'm going to nail this trick right now. It says who? Where's the evidence, dude? I know. I just believe it. I got this faith for it, you know. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, faith is a crazy thing, you know. It's and and I think people are so scared to. Well, I guess there's this illusion of control. We like control, yeah. and control is such an illusion. Mm. And faith, faith is the solution to that. Yeah. And if you're related to skateboarding, it's like let's say you. I was actually trying to like I was board sliding a rail the other day at the skate park and. I was just feeling really tight and tired and I just had to have faith that if I just concentrate on the ollie that I'm going to get high enough yeah. and land on it, you know, and I really had faith in my ollie that, the t- like, that it was going to get me. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. And, and you push towards so, it and, and, and you navigate your body towards that, mm-hmm. you know, because you got that, you've set it on the GPS and you just, you know, yeah. you're learning from your mistakes, you know, you're learning from that rearview mirror. Oh, the last time I positioned my foot there, yeah, you know, I over flipped it or overturned it or whatever. You know, I've got to get the positioning right, and then I'll be able to nail it properly. You know. Listen, man, a good friend of mine is a fanatical Parramatta Eels fan. Mm. Loves them, which has been really interesting for me because my father was fanatical Parramatta Eels, and I was always like, oh, I hate footy. <laughs> I'm not into it. You know, my whole life, and he's like, Sorry, Shan. And for him, Sorry, Shan. Yes. Can we hold that? What do we do about a bathroom break? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's the biggest issue with the podcast because, like, I wake up every morning and drink two liters of water. Yeah. I fast every day. Oh, yeah, I right. Drink, I don't eat till midday, but then I, I drink water and drink black coffee and water all morning. Yeah, you know, and so I'm always busy. <laughs> I'm actually surprised I lasted two and a half hours. That's good. That's how long we've been going, man. Dude, that's sick. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. It's it. The story is beautiful, Sid. Oh, okay. you know, it's funny. I was when I was doing when I was doing my wee. You know, this, this I, I try to work off an intuitive sense when selecting guests, but what I've come to learn is as I get older that, that I'm starting to think that that intuitive sense that is is my, is God speaking to me. Yeah, right. And I'm just I'm coming to more of a place of acceptance yeah. with that. Yeah. that. I don't know. I feel comfortable enough to say that too. That's right. That's so right. Yeah. You know, because and the, just the things that you're saying and the messages you're putting out there, I know are going to resonate with people. They're resonating with me. Mm. Like in ways that you know, I I don't even want to. I'd like to talk to you about in, more in private. Yeah, for sure. Mind, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but definitely. To get us, 
to get us back on track, Par- um, Parramatta. My, my friend is a fanatical Parramatta supporter, and it's really funny. My father was, and now my father's passed. Mm. I'm kind of seeing it like this is really strange, but I'm kind of seeing Parramatta as like my connection to my my father now. Yeah, right. You know, okay. Because he, I mean, he he loved them his whole life. Oh, loved right. them. Yeah, yeah. I never understood it. Probably just like how he never understood why I love skateboarding. Yeah. And now my one of my best friends is right into it, and he sent me some photos of some amazing murals you did for the NRL, yeah. specifically Parramatta. Yeah. Tell us the backstory behind that. I, I was approached from a friend of mine who owned um, a business, and on the side of the wall was a great open space in, in uh, Redfern, Chippendale, just alongside Everly Street, and... Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, between Cleveland and, and, and Everly, and there was this big wall there, and it's obviously still there, which is what kicked off the main murals. But he said, oh, hey, um, South Sydney Rabbitohs have approached um, approached him about utilising that space to paint a mural, and he thought that I'd be the, the dude for the job. So that was the first NRL mural that uh, was – that basically rattled off all the rest of them. And that was a Greg Inglis one um, for the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And so that one I painted, um, that one took about three, three and a half days, I think. And then after that, I, I ended up getting, um, yeah, Cronulla. I did, did Cronulla in Cronulla. Um, there was Leichhardt. I did Benji Marshall. Um, the Cronulla one was Andrew Eddinghausen and Paul Gallen. Um, and then like, wow. like how it was Benji Marshall. Then I did, um, in Melbourne, Rich, Melbourne, Richmond, I did, um, I did Billy Slater and, um, and, uh, gosh, Cameron Smith. Um, yeah. So it was interesting because I, I, I haven't been into the footy world really. It's just something I was never into. And yeah. if anything, footy to me was, like my brother has been into it, my older brother, who was like my father figure. He was the dude who was so into football and sports, like heavy. He was a big St. George supporter and I was never really that into it. And funnily enough, I ended up having gnarly experiences with the football, what I ended up relating to football. Like I had my, my jaw, I got assaulted and had my jaw broken, busted when I was 14 and Basically, I remember the board I had, it was a Gons, had a Vision Gons. I was 15 years old or 16 or so, had a Vision Gons, the gra- the one with the um, the one with the graphic. Was it a Vision? A blind. No, it was a blind Gons when blind just started. Wow. And um, so it was a blind Gons with all the characters like it was a, it was a horizontal graphic and all the Gons, yeah. all the Gons characters lined up. There was about four or five of them. And um, anyway, I had one of those. And I remember walking back from picking up my girlfriend, um, walking back home in the middle of the day. I was like three in the Arvo, and these two dudes just came out saying, "Ah, oh, you were what? you were paying out one of my friends here." Blah blah blah. Long story short, they whacked me hard from behind. I turned around to um, fight him with my with my board. As I've turned around, my jaw just sort of stayed there. <laughs> my jaw basically stayed where I was from turning around because they'd broken my my jaw completely, and my jaw sort of just flew down. <laughs> And funnily enough, what I'm getting at with football is that these two dudes were one of them was um was like a I think it was a reserve player for St George. I ended up seeing him a, a few about two years later, 
on the reserve bench in the St. George game and pointing him out to my girlfriend at the time and she went gnarly at him. I was like, hey, forget about it. It was years ago. And she was saying, oh, you're the dude that did this. You're a freaking coward. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like telling the girlfriend, chill, it's okay. It was so weird. Like that was like a reference to like whenever I thought of like football, it was like I had the I had this thing of just dudes that were sometimes overly aggressive or whatever. Even at school, all the footy heads at school were always like some like – really overly aggressive dudes within yeah. within their group, you know, but individually yeah. individually it was a whole different ball game. But um, but as a group they're always just proclaiming strength. And I find that really funny that you can proclaim strength within a big group on one person. <laughs> like that's that's actually weakness. But anyway, I was like <laughs> I was there going, oh, okay. So that was these references that I had. I remember being in the middle of the street skating, I was skating at this spot and making a hell of a lot of noise, um, skating these benches at Rockdale's train station. These guys pulled me up. There were some tradies on working on the road. One of them was one of the big footy players at my school that I remembered him for being this big footy head, and he just mm. he just stood back while his other mate came out and grabbed me by the throat and was threatening to, like, just do me in for, for making too much noise and skating, but really going off at me. And I remember seeing this dude behind him. I'm going, I know you, man. You, you we, we were at school together and you're just standing there, like, not doing a single thing. And, and I remember – and it's funny, how, like, what I'm getting at with the footy murals is that I was totally, like, I didn't want to have – I was like, no, nah, I'm just – I just skate. But funnily enough, getting into these football murals, I've now come to this appreciation, and like as you know, where I'm just like stoked about people and wanting to know their worlds. So the the footy murals opened me up to really understanding people and their culture for what it truly is, and dis- wow. disregarding all the strongholds I had in my mind about all that, and just going, wow, I'm entering into this world, giving honor to an athlete. I had to, dude, I did not know who Greg Inglis was. I had no idea. That's how I had the blinders on in skating all my life. I was like, Greg Inglis, okay, I Google search a dude, end up realizing he's this absolute legend of a player, the amount of honor he has. I'm like, wow, because I like research. Indigenous leader. Yeah, and I was like, I really love researching the people I'm about to paint. And that's the beautiful thing about the job that I do is that I get to really explore different worlds and, and put away any prejudices I might have. Or, yeah, and just be like, no, 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 let's just get in here and just appreciate it for what it truly is and then bring honour to it when you paint it. So, the, so yeah, so the Parramatta Eagles one it, it was was that as well. I've got a friend who's a, who was a former captain for Parramatta Eagles, okay. t- uh, Tim, who was Tim Manor, and I always wanted okay. to do a portrait of him and because we're friends, I was like, dude, I want to – and then the Parramatta Eagles one came up and I was just pushing to have Timmy up on the wall as well, which I did. So, yeah, so that was yeah. right. And I had all the other legends of the game, some of them anyway, like Peter Sterling, Ray Price, et cetera, just having them alongside. And so that, that was a fun one yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, so you made your peace with the footy. Yeah, you made your peace. yeah that, that, little, that little broken kid that was just pissed at football. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's special to me too because my father took me to the first ever Parramatta home game at what was dubbed the New Stadium uh, back in 1984, I think. Yeah. And it was, you know, in the heyday of like Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, Ray Price. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Eric Groth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember as a little kid and it was such a special moment for dad, my dad. And, 
and me to be part of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's this lifelong memory I'll have, you know. And so by default, you know, like, again, I'm so out of touch with footy. <laughs> Personally, never even liked the game. Yeah. I just was like, ah, oh, it's a it's a two-dimensional game. It's a one-dimensional game. It's so boring. It's yeah. just like one strategy, like run the ball up, yeah, you know, yeah. pass it wide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, anyway, it, it, so it's, it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's like I've, I've, the cool thing that I ended up loving about all those murals that I did, they became some of my favourite murals because – the, really? Yeah, because the people that I would meet and the banter and the and the feedback that I'd got was just awesome. I'm there going, wow, it's it's really right to appreciate this whole different culture that I've never been a part of, and and see how much pride they've got around it. And you know, people that are people would tell me, oh, dude, that you know that South mural you did is awesome, but you know, I hate the team, but dude, that mural is awesome. You know, <laughs> like they're so right. they're so into their other team, whether it's Parramatta or whatever, but they're looking at this football mural and going. Dude, so they're in love with the game. It's kind of like us as skaters going, oh, there could be a, a rad portrait of someone. We may not like that skater, but you know that that's about skateboarding. So therefore, you're like, it's sick anyway. You know, it just breaks down a few like prejudices that way too. I, lo- I love your Cheeto Vera one, mm. the one you did for Ruka. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, that was a fun Are you like sees Ecuadorian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you feel the connection there, or was that a con- like a contracted job? For you? Yeah, kind of. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm with Ruka as a brand. Like I'm one of their advocates. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, when they asked me about doing something with Cheto and they knew that I was Ecuadorian, they're like, "Oh, this is a cool little thing so to do." Right. And I was like, "Yeah, look, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a UFC." F- fan of sorts i'm just like but the fact that he's ecuadorian doing his thing you know can understand a lot of his culture and they want me to paint a mural over my this would be sick so got to paint oh, the mural and then reach out to him and just say dude look what i'm oh you spoke to him yeah like just saying look dude what, what, what we're doing over he was like oh stoked and the fact that he knew, he knows i'm ecuadorian and this and that with there's just that Little sort of common little grounding or whatever. And did he like the final product? Oh yeah. Did you get any feedback? He was and yeah, yeah. He he was so pumped with it, and he put it up on his Insta, and it just so many people around the world just loved it, and um, He's it was very really well cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you actually had me in tears this morning as well. And this yeah. Is what art does? Uh, you had a reel of the Jason Lee. Oh yeah. Um, uh, portrait you drew. And then you mixed it with the song from Blind Video Days, uh, the Knife Song by Milk. Yeah, that's right. Which is funny because I didn't even know this, but that band that wrote that song is Jeff Tremaine. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I couldn't even find the song on Spotify. Yeah, no, like it just, not there. Just a, yeah. It was just that they made it. And then, um, you know, how you mixed it with some of his part from from Video Days mm. and like that song and that skating combined with your picture, oh, dude, it just took me awesome. back to a place, you know, in my, in my teen childhood. Yeah. And um, it's amazing what, what memories are held in your brain but you don't you forget them and then something sparks them and they trigger you. Like you get triggered. Yeah. I was triggered oh, in, a good, in a really beautiful way. Awesome. You know? That's so good. You must, you must hear that regularly yeah. from people. Yeah, I, I do because a lot of the paintings that I do or the drawings that I do, I do them because a lot of – most of them is because I, I try and see how it touches upon how it's affected my heart and how I can – I, I, I feel more akin to want to draw something like Jason Lee. Like I was like, okay, he was my favorite skateboarder. One, one of, you know, we've got so many favorite skateboarders, but he was definitely one of the major skateboarders. And the whole, 
yes, his style and his way of doing things, very tall and very um, solid on his board, but had a lot of, like, grace and great aesthetic. And the graphics that went alongside with a lot of the Dr. Seuss ones and, the you know, the, the Bible, the, the gun and the American flag, the Hungry Jack's Burger, all, that, all those graphics that I just saw coming out of this one guy that was very fun and charismatic as well. I was like, man, he's definitely one of my favorites. And so when I when I drew that, I was like, wow. Who, I think to myself, who do I really want to, who really, who really inspired me in many ways? I'd love to touch on that. So I think of, so I've thought, I've dabbled with, say, for example, doing Guy Mariano. I've have done I've done stuff of Gons as well. Next one, I'm really going to have to hone in on a fair bit because it's it's really pivotal in my skateboarding life is Nardis. But I, I I don't know what I want to do there yet. But the Jay Lee one was definitely I had I was just trying out this drawing style and the song everything. I was like I remember the first time I saw the blind blind video days was out at Borkham Hills with Carrie Fisher and Glenn Scott at it and uh, and and Hank I think was there and um, so yeah with with a, with the Jason Lee drawing it was um, touching upon like how you. Uh, you'd mentioned how it draws something out of you, like you go back into your memory, and it's it's just yeah, it it draws memories out of you because I like doing drawings that or paintings that I like. That's why I like researching what I'm about to paint, um, and if I can really, and if it really means something to me, then and I want to paint that, then I guess something is going to come out that's going to touch upon why it matters so much so with jason lee being one of my favorite skateboarders he um yeah i've just been such a fan of his aesthetic he's just such he just looks so great on his skateboard and you know he's got a very you know he's a good looking guy and when he skates he's got his body movements great um and it's just something that's pleasing to the eye you know you look at it and you go there's something really very uh you're drawn to him anyways, right? So that's why people would always accredit people like him and say Christian Hosoi to to style. And and then I'd be like, okay, um, I'd look at what everything about him. There was the Dr. Seuss graphics, yeah, you know, Hungry Jack's graphics, or Burger King actually, Burger King, um, uh, or you know, all throughout his blind days, uh, the gun, American flag, all that sort of stuff. All those things meant. I guess the point of points of references to what I believed was just awesome in skateboarding and it was coming from this guy that I'd saw called Jason Lee. And so when I drew him, I was exploring a way of drawing and I thought I'd draw that. And as I was drawing, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll paint him as Earl from that show. Um, it was called Everyone Loves Earl or something like that. My, my name, my name is, Earl. is Earl. Yeah, I, didn't, I never watched an episode of it at all, but... I just knew him as Jason Lee in my life, you know, and that was it, as Jason Lee, the skateboarder. But I thought I'd paint him, paint him. I saw, I thought, thought I'd draw him as Earl because that's how some people, that's how some people in the mainstream know him. They know this, they know him as Earl, whereas we grew up knowing him as that's Jason crazy. Lee. So I just thought I'd sort of change it up that way, and then putting all the all the music and stuff together was a lot of fun because that's been. You know, we get drawn to some of our favorite bands or some of our favorite songs through skate videos, and then that was definitely one of them. And when I first saw Blind Video Days, I was at um, 
I was in Borkham Hills with um, – I got invited from a school friend of mine, John Mick. He said, oh, I'll come and skate with my friends over at Borkham Hills, and that happened to be Glenn Scott, Kerry Fisher. Um, there was uh, Frax or Freckles. There was um, – I think Hank Scott was there as well and um, Aaron Brown. Um, wow. And, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing, drawing a short here. But anyhow – yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to just be there amongst these other skaters and they were just all about skating and they put on the life video and blind video days and I was like, what on earth is this? This is phenomenal. You know, I remember seeing Sheffy's part for the first time and that really hit me hard and yeah, and then we went out skating that day but then looking at blind video days and always wanting to see Jason Lee's part and just loving every part of that. I was like, and to draw him would be so cool. And, um, yeah. So as I'd mentioned before, we were kind of cut out or whatever. It was like, yeah. So I want to touch upon other skateboard as well. I've I've dabbled with Guy Mariano and I've done, I've done some of Gons. I've done some stuff with Gons like, um, yeah, and I've done, but the one I really want to would, touch on. I'd, I would buy, I would buy Guy Mariano piece if you. Don't yeah, know, sick. And, yeah, I have to. I mean, I, I talk about Guy Mariano on here all the time. Yeah, I remember you, yeah. you, you had a, you had a, uh, you felt akin to him being um, with your upbringing. I heard that on Darren's uh, podcast. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's been one of my favorites. And then you got Nardis is the one that I really want to do justice towards. If I do something with Nardis, like because. I strongly affiliated with him in many ways because, you know, with my disabilities in skating, I wasn't able to go big like I wanted to. So I started learning how to ollie really big and all that sort of stuff. And in those early years, it was um, Nardis who was known to have the big ollie. And um, and in my world in Australia, there was another guy by the name of Tony Lopez who was my best friend at school who actually could ollie about as high, if not sometimes higher than Nardis, but no one knew him. And um, gotcha. but people in Redfern and Sydney, that there's people that know about Tony Lopez and another guy Assad. These guys were killing it. That if you put them into the into America, we'd be going, oh my gosh, these guys are the best. You know, it's just funny demographic that way. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah I just I'm not sure if it got cut off, but so I'm going to ask it again mm. just in case. Um, so like I said to you this morning, I'm having my morning coffee. I watched that reel you made of Jason Lee with the music and the, um, you know, the skating from Blind Video Days and then combining it with your portrait and the process that you went through to create that image of Jason Lee. And it triggered me and I felt really emotional, like I was going to cry. I think I even might have cried a little bit. I don't even know. I mean, is this a common uh, commonality amongst your viewers? Do you get this? Do people say this to you a lot? And if they do... Mm. You know, how do you respond to people when they say that? Um, I, I have had people just say, man, it really touches me in such an awesome way. And they're just – and what it's doing for them, obviously, you can just tell through their countenance and that's about it. But obviously, there's a whole lot of stuff running through them. And, and, and I think I think that's wonderful. You know, I think, wow, that that's really awesome. But I know it's not all my doing. It's just, as I touched upon earlier in the convo, is that art often – what its purpose is to – is to um, give the viewer a greater appreciation for the gift of life, so um, and the beauty of life and the, the the awesomeness of what life is, and that's what's happening there. Like, I've, you know, say you looking at Jason Lee, it's bringing about something. You're, it's touching upon those, or it's hitting those buttons where you're just like, 
man, skating's awesome. God, that dude's style. Oh, my friends at that time. Oh, I was hitting those spots here. I was doing that. I had this board. I was loving these wheels. You know, you were so enamored with your world. And, that, and, and we love who we are. We love who we are as people because we realize we're so precious and we're, we're just brave in many ways out in this open world. So there's a, a tenderness towards who we are. So when you touch, when, when you touch upon that with an artwork or with music, it's, it really brings you back to a very, very precious state. And, and that's, that's, that's a great, it's lovely to be able to do that every now and then, whether I do it consciously or not, I, I don't, I don't believe I do. It's just an expression of what I'm doing. But when I do paint, I do want to be, uh, with a lot of my work, I do want to touch upon something that means a lot to me. You know, I like, yeah. I like painting what I, I love painting what I love, you know. You know, I love people, so I'm painting people. I love com- community and, and the goodness of, of, of life, of God, of mankind. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, what happens then? What happens then if you get offered? A contract, mm. work, a contract job, and they're doing it because it's a job. yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, how do you combat that as an artist? Yeah, and that's 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 interesting, but I don't have qualms with it too because I do get approached that way, and it's like, okay, well, guess what? I'm painting something or I'm doing something that means so much to someone else. Okay, help me out. Service. Help, yeah, service. Help me understand what it is you love about that so I can somehow feel akin to it so we can collaborate in a good way rather than just going, uh, I'm not, that's not my, that's not my, that's not my, you know, I'm not down for that. I'm not going to do it. No, I go, I'm a skater. I'm this. I just do that. I, I don't want to put those pride barriers up. I'm like, okay, show me about your world. Show, tell me about rugby league you know pride that i pride you know i'm oh, like tell me about your rug, rugby league why do you love it like what's it mean to you where, where was your first stadium that you where was the first home ground that you went oh what was it like being a kid putting on you know your shoulder pads for the first time was that sick and they would probably it's just like us going oh dude the first time i got my first set of cockroach wheels <laughs> you know all types of funny things like that it's just it's the same it's the same principle running through humanity and now i just go all right so it causes me to even though it may not be the job i'm choosing to do it's definitely a job that's come my way now there are times where i will say no to a job because it doesn't sit right with like i got approached by a band one time a well-known uh, band and they wanted to do some political sort of like slandering towards someone i didn't agree with this person's politics at all but and I could see where they were going in regards to to wanting to do an artwork that's akin to the band and also to slandering a politician. I'm like, okay, I get what you're trying to do, and some people are down to do that, but does it sit right with me? I'm like, no, because at the end of the day, that person that I'm going to, if I were to do that work, that person that I could have put up there and slandered them for public to see and everyone thinks, ah, oh, that's sick, yeah, that guy's a kook or whatever, um, and this band's rad because they're basically kookifying this person. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, this person that I'm slandering is and was a precious baby that was dearly loved and brought up now in their adulthood as probably making certain decisions that aren't in line with sometimes the best mm. of humanity. Hey, Sid, have you, hey, Sid, have you ever made the decisions that weren't akin to the best for, for, for mankind? Hell yeah, I have. Hell yeah, I have. 
Have you have you ever lied or stolen or cheated, Sid? Have you ever been at the swindler and just done some gnarly stuff to just get on top? Yeah, I have. You know what I mean? So I'm there going, okay, like I'm not going to – I get what you're doing, sweet eyes, but at the end of the day, I would hope that this person's maybe political views would change for the betterment of mankind. And my way of imparting here right now is to probably say no because I'm all about wanting to honour people. Uh, and, and maybe if it's someone that doesn't exactly fit fit the tune to the betterment of mankind, I may go there, I may not, but it's it's ultimately my call and what I can sit with. And that right there, that approach that you've chosen to take, mm. it can potentially change the world mm. if everyone adopted that. Yeah. And, 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 that's that, and that's actually that simple, mm. like that deep empathy and then scratching beneath the surface, but, but not actually – you know, making change, change starts from within. Mm. Okay, if you want to change the world, I don't know who said it, someone wise. Yeah. <laughs> if, you want to, if, you want to, if you want to change the world, you know, you've got to start from yeah, within. Yeah. And who are you, and, and like you said, who are you to judge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get so wrapped up in that. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it spirals. And then this spiral of like bitterness and resentment. Fully, dude. Uh, per, per, pervades. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's poisoning the world. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why and we see so many different issues in the world. Ultimately, it's because of brokenness and sin. And, you know, you hear the famous saying, hurt people, hurt people, etc. But yeah, it's you see that outplayed in society. It's like there's division and there's like, ah, there's, and even now you've got people in authority that willfully try and create division in order to bring solution and whatnot in order to gain a sense of power and authority and, and control. But when we just have an introspective look at our own life within the home and our own introspective life within our daily living, that's where it ultimately starts because that's the out, your life is an outplay of that. Going back to what we said in, in the beginning, it's like guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life, you know. Guard your heart with all diligence because – and the Bible actually says that the heart is, is wicked and deceitful above all things. Think about that. The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. That's gnarly. Where, where else do wars and fights and all this come from? What's going on in here? The things we conjure up in our mind to want to downplay and, and, and break down another person or another society or to conquer a country and this and that, it's all coming from this – plague of nastiness that comes out in here but with this same heart we're also saying god bless you man you're awesome i oh, do you got a future it's the same same thing that, that the tongue dude the tongue is such a venomous thing that's which is why we gotta yeah. why we gotta condition ourselves towards like taking responsibility and going okay i've got a responsibility on this earth to be able to be a catalyst for a, a wonderful, beautiful, um, life-giving change. What is it about? Dude, I've broken it down in some ways throughout this conversation. I try to simplify things. Look at the word. Here's another way of simply looking at it, the word information, right? Information. It's everywhere, right? Comes through our senses, eyes, ears, nose, everything, information. But look at the word information, in and formation, what goes into you is going to form you, right? Well, you know the quote like uh, your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words. Be, your words become your behaviors and actions. Well, 
and your behaviours and actions become your character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I got it wrong. I mean, Gandhi said. Yeah, yeah. In, in many ways, that 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 sort of uh, system that works, like information it's like but isn't it true that we have the capacity to be able to say yes or no to certain things we listen to and put into our lives and because those things we're putting in are going to form us dude if i've got a faithful relationship with my wife but i decide to start putting information of other women or information of just porn or or just you know how is that going to affect this faithful relationship that i've got it's going to start yeah forming it to be broken like it's just it's just a, 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 a it's easy to understand that so we got to be able to take the responsibility and be legit with ourselves and go nah this is not a friend to my destiny this is not a, a friend to my hopes and aspirations and my dreams therefore i can choose to say no as tempting as it is and i've dabbled with it i know i've dabbled with it and tasted it and felt and it tasted pretty good but it had a sting to it and it had a sting you know it was like but I better not do it. It's like a fish, man. The fish comes in with the bait and the hook. is like, dude, that bait looks pretty sick. Oh, it kind of bites a bit and then suddenly, dude, drags you away to your death, man. It's like we're, it's, it's, it, we, we're responsible and strong enough as human sure. beings to be able to make those core decisions, to be able to shape our life towards those, those heart's desires that are, that are good, you know. And you're also sort of saying to be very mindful of the information we consume. Yeah, we've got the capacity. Yeah. What are you? What are you? What are you? What are you consuming? Me? I, by by what you're what? No, no. But I'm saying. Oh yeah, by what you're consuming. Yes. Yeah. Consider what what are you consuming? You know, visually. Mm. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm always advocating for people being very selective about the media that they consume because mm. we live in a day and age when you can consume all different types of media, yeah. you know, some toxic, some positive. Yeah, and you've got algorithms that try and fashion you towards the things you're interested in in order to get you yeah. get you to keep on thinking certain ways. Like think about all the main agendas that are in the world right now. Like 2020, what was the main topic? News of the World. I did a painting series called News of the World, right, and I, I based it off the, that old jam song, The Jam. Um, they got that yeah. song called News of the World, and I thought I'd title this series News of the World. And it touches on three major topics of the news of the world within the, the after the 2020 thing. The one topic touched upon the virus, the coronavirus. The other painting touched upon racism, and the other painting touched upon um, uh, transgenderism, because they're like the main topics and the main the news of the world that's basically being thrown down. In, it's it's in the in, information realm at the moment. So guess what's it? What the hot topic is of the world is there's fights and divisions amongst racism, transgenderism. There was the corona. It's dude. It's this conditioning that we hear and this thing. It's like and then the topic comes out and the division plays and then there's wars and discontentions and blah blah blah. blah. It's like oh my gosh. It's it's and you're right. You know the, we can be extremely selective with what we put in, but then we can be extremely selective with how we process that information and how we can okay. how we can use it to the betterment of loving and serving one another or to the detriment of one another. Yes, brother. Mm. Yes. It's really good. Listen, you know, you've moved to Brisbane, you know, made a big change. Like what, what's next for, for the for the tapir family? Um, so right now, um, Right as I speak, we're in the middle of moving home, so there's box there's boxes everywhere. Um, I've just finished um, 
well, I'm moving studio as well, my, my studio gallery. I just closed that down last weekend. So I, um, I've now looked at finding a space. I've got one sort of commercial space that's, that may be opening up in the middle of the city of Brisbane um, and then finding a bigger studio to do, to basically close the doors and paint in. Like the commercial space would be where I, I can have my work on display throughout the weeks um, and then be there maybe once a week. The studio space is a space where I could just definitely be in and paint bigger paintings. Um, and where, you know, the girls are at school, 11 and 7, doing their thing, loving their school, which is epic. One of the main reasons we've moved here is because of the great school that they're at. And then, wow. and now where, where, you know, my wife, she just finished getting a certificate in real estate. Um, and she's been full-time mumming, so she's been going hard at that job for, you know, for a long period of time. And so now for me, I'm just out there putting my artwork out, putting myself out like this, like right now on a podcast, which is, you know, something that I find I've just, yeah, like I'm transparent in many ways, so to speak. You know, like I, I realise as a as what I do as an artist, I'm not shy. I'm not one of those introverted artists that doesn't want to talk or whatever. I'm, I'm okay with it. So therefore I, 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 as a man and as the provider for the family throughout all these years, I've, I, I, I just, you know, I put myself out there, my artwork out there and I'm going to continue doing that. But now I'm in a position where I need to start creating the opportunities the way I'd like to see them. So I'm working on some, really um, interesting projects that could um, hopefully project more work for me in the next few years um, rather than just to, just waiting to see what comes I'm actually work, working on something that could definitely be an ongoing thing for the next few years so I'm, I'm believing I can create that opportunity rather than what opportunity is going to come my way let's see and how much is that going to pay me so to speak you know it's responsible. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Wow, man. It's been epic. I mean, yeah, Shane. you know, I, uh, I don't know. There's so much to unpack. And I think a lot of the things you've been saying and for me personally, and, and I hope if you're listening, you sit back and maybe really process, process Sid and his life and, and uh, the stories he's just told us. Yeah, I but Sid, I ask, I ask all guests, to come to the podcast with a cause they want to support or advocate yeah. for. So what do you got for us today? So um, first thing that came to mind cause-wise was uh, Little Eggs Foundation, which is um, a foundation that I've been a part of from day one in many ways. It's very dear to my heart because um, it's there to raise awareness for to find a cure for brain, uh, childhood brain cancer. Um, okay. With Little X Foundation, I, I, I'm honoured enough to be an ambassador for him as well. And um, but this, but the spe- the story goes deeper in the sense that it was founded by good friends of mine, um, Marina and Sue Ellen. They lost their uh, child to childhood brain cancer, and um, this beautiful young girl, uh, her name's Allegra. She also happened to be my first daughter's first friend in kindergarten yeah so when my little girl first went to school you know how precious that is when your kid goes to school for the first time you're like oh and um her first buddy was um allegra and then yeah and then unfortunately allegra was taken out by 
childhood brain cancer. And the phenomenal thing about uh, Marino and Allegra is uh, obviously through all the mourning and the grief and the continual mourning and grief that they experience to this very day, it's like they've become so selfless. And they're one of the strongest advocates for finding a cure and raising money and awareness for childhood brain cancer. So Amazing. that is something that's extremely dear to my heart. I didn't, I've learned so many different things. I didn't know that childhood brain cancer is one of the, is the number one killer of children in, in like in Australia and if not oh, the world. Okay. Yeah, when it comes to children dying, like, and yeah, so I was like, wow, that's really heavy. And it, yeah, so, um, so yeah, so that's that's the cause that I that I definitely stand behind to this day. Yeah. Okay, so it's the littlelegsfoundation.org.au. Yeah. If you scroll down in this episode, I'll put a link to it in this episode's show notes. And uh, you know, uh, something I've done since I started the podcast four years ago, uh, it, it, just to give people an opportunity to be of service to the world. You know, if you. And a variety of different ways. And if this is something that is touching your heart, you know, get on, see how you can be involved. I always advocate for giving your time and uh, obviously donating is always helpful as well. So good one, Sid. Thanks, Jan. Legend. Thank you, Jan. Such a good dude. Thanks, All right, man, let's leave it there. Hi, brother. So, Mr. Sid, Mr. Sid Tapia, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.